0: Welcome to the Great Podcast, the show where we take a look at the important men and women of history and decide once and for all if they are worth all the fuss. I'm Jordan, and
1: I'm David. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot to cover today. So this is episode 18, Jordan. We've been doing these for a long time now. That's a lot. It is, and uh, we're we're getting close to the end of the West. Kind of, sort of. (laughs) We have a little ways to go still, but. A couple years, we'll get there. Yeah, well, you know, just give us two, three more years, we'll be done. All right. So imagine, if you will, a man walks slowly through a Roman military camp. He's older, slightly stooped, and wearing the imperial purple. He talks quietly with his senior officers, his praetorian prefect, walking at his side. As he walks, a light rain begins to fall. The group finish their business, and the officers head off to their duties or their tents, ducking their heads against the increasing rainfall. The Emperor quickens his pace slightly, his bodyguards and attendants doing the same. Soon, they arrive at the Emperor's tent and begin ducking through the flap. The Emperor looks up at the sky before stepping in. Then, a violent flash of lightning illuminates the sky, and the scene cuts to an Imperial carriage trundling along a paved road. Soldiers march alongside the carriage Many of them looking quite queasy A few looking angry Most held their noses Peering at the carriage Every so often Noticing the grayish brown liquid Mm. Dripping from the crack in the door At the demand of several Ranking officers The Praetorian Prefect agrees to check in on the Emperor The carriage door is opened And everyone gasps One soldier doubles over And vomits Mm -hmm. The scene changes once again, this time to reveal a massive battlefield. A river is flowing nearby as Roman legionaries hack and stab at each other to death. Nearby, the emperor is watching from horseback, sending orders with his runners to keep the battle going smoothly. One of the officers rides up to him in a hurry, but he doesn't give the usual shows of respect and deference. The emperor turns to reprimand the officer, only to find a sword jutting from his guts. The soldier rips the blade out before shouting, that's for my wife, and riding off toward the enemy's lines. Dang. And that's it. that's our opening.
0: I'm assuming some, some body ooze was coming out of that cart.
1: <laughs> you think that's what it was? Yeah. You think, that's, well, I mean, you think it, was, it was like a putrefaction or something? Yeah, I don't know. Something. <laughs> Might have been. All right. So last time we talked about Aurelian, the badass who kind of reunited the entire empire. Mm-hmm, Do you recall mm-hmm. that? It's been a while. I recall it happened. Okay, well, (laughs) Aurelian was murdered at the end, if you recall, very suddenly, Mm -hmm. and it was very unfortunate because he had only had five years, but he did a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. So his unexpected death was mostly unwanted within the empire. The Senate didn't like Aurelian much, but that's, you know, who cares what the Senate thinks. Um, In those five short years, he had reunited the empire, put the government on the most stable footing it had been in a long time. And this had a knock on effect that uh, no one was chomping at the bit to become emperor, once Aurelian was dead. Usually it's like, he sucks, I'm Mm -hmm. gonna take over and do better. Mm -hmm. But everyone's Mm -hmm. like, Aurelian's doing great. Mm -hmm. I did not mention Aurelian's wife last time. Her name is Severina. Um, She just isn't in the primary sources at all. We only know about her from coins. Um, But, it's important to note that the two also didn't have any children, at least none that we know of, and none that lived to adulthood.
0: He probably didn't have no time, man. He was running around it's the, it's the entire empire, the entire
1: time. Yeah, five <laughs> years straight of, like, east-west, east-west-center, yeah. east-west-center. No yeah. west. He was also in his 50s by the time he became emperor, so yeah. his wife may have been as well. That's now, fair. the men were gathering around Aurelian's corpse as the pool of blood grew around him. At some point, the assassins must have been taken into custody, at which point they declared that they had acted in self-defense. Aurelian was going to kill us. Remember, they had been given a list of oh, names. Oh, that's right. The saying, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah, thing Yeah. They thought Aurelian was about to execute them on kind of trumped up charges. Yeah. But uh, the scribe or whoever, the secretary, Eros, had been lying and the list was not real. So I'm sure once they heard that, Dread set in very quickly The man who had led them through all these campaigns Victory after victory was dead Because of a lie And Mm -hmm. no one was happy So now no one wanted to step forward No one was going to be I'm the next guy Because no one wanted to anger everyone Feeling the guilt And perhaps hoping to save some face The troops decided on something quite remarkable What do you think they did? They need an emperor but they don't want to choose Who else wants to choose an emperor?
0: well like the senate
1: the senate but, oh god why yeah no, not yeah <laughs> no. so they sent word to the senate no. they're like hey guys you choose Ugh, i really thought
0: they wouldn't even like no no no. they they don't we don't want them to yeah do that. you
1: one would think that's been the historic <laughs> yeah. way it's yeah. been um so they figured you know those old bastards in the robes love feeling important mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they sent it out what do you think the senate decided I don't know. Probably pick the most. No, not one us. Of them. That sounds like oh. an army job. Oh, that wow. sounds like something the army does. <laughs> they're,
0: they're just like, no, no, no. I don't want to deal with that right now.
1: Yeah, that's they, pretty wild. They honestly. probably smelled a
0: trap. Oh, I guess they would think that given yeah. the history of murdering yeah. senators and, and whoever decides to the, decide the empire usually doesn't yeah. last. Yeah. So
1: yeah. So letters go back and forth of the <laughs> two being like, no, you choose. No, you choose mm. for six.
0: Months. Well, yeah, you had to wait. You know, yep, three, four weeks in between the letters getting back
1: and forth. <laughs> Absolutely. Eventually, the Senate did relent, um, and it was probably at the threat of the army, and they chose Tacitus, not to be confused with the ancient Roman writer also called Tacitus. Yeah, I was like that name's familiar. It is. Yeah, <laughs> not that guy. Um, this is known as the interregnum. This, like, a famous thing that was brought up by Gibbon and a few other historians. And it's probably not true. Oh. I just lied to you. Oh, Almost that, certainly. That they chose, that they chose that a That the back and forth happened oh, in the okay. Yeah, gotcha. that probably didn't happen. It was because the belief is that Tacitus may actually have been a military man and they just chose him. But oh, there's okay. this story so that I thought I'd share it with you. I'm sorry for lying to you. It's not for sure yeah you're right we don't know probably (laughs) yeah so the point what what most people think is that this interregnum is used to show how discombobulated everything was it's almost like a motif sure to be like aurelian was so great and this ruined everything and no one could even decide the next emperor but um i think it's there's a there's an idea that it's you'll see there's a few emperors between our next good emperor and that six month period may have been them dying and then the next writers Mm. were like what if we just that was six months of figuring it out. We're just going <laughs> gonna <jump, laughs>
0: to jump over this mess again. Uh, yeah. Not the next.
1: <laughs> anyway, Tacitus was most likely elevated by the troops in reality, uh, just like every other crisis emperor. We don't actually know where he was from, oh. but uh, probably the Illyrian provinces, which are those east of Italy, where every emperor has been coming from during the crisis. It is likely, as I said, that he was an old military man who was called out of retirement to lead the armies and become emperor. So I got your notebook. How long do you think Tacitus is gonna last? Uh, and how is he gonna die? We'll make. It, I can't write on this. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Just need a pencil. Uh, but you didn't. You did write
0: his name down here for me. So that's. Have I
1: written down a single name for you?
0: You've written all of this, actually. You just You're asked me the question. You're absolutely right. You're right. <laughs> I. I was like, wait a second. Yes, I have. That's my handwriting. <laughs> I was like, I so have written these all.
1: <laughs> You're so correct about that. All right, Tacitus. How long will he last and then how will he die? He is not our main character.
0: I'll tell you that. Oh man. Poor Tacitus. Uh he's gonna last. Let's see. They skipped six months. He's gonna last eighteen months. Okay, like a year and a half. Okay. It's great. Um and let's see since the armies probably chose him oh the senate just kind of wants to sit back and just be comfortable hmm it really feels like i'm I'm gonna be optimistic he doesn't get murdered Ooh. he just gets sick unfortunately illness and dies
1: Oh, that's unfortunate. No
0: ill will. He didn't get poisoned. He Everyone just, loved him. He
1: just got sick. He was the next Aurelian. Well, it was just,
0: maybe they didn't love him. He just didn't have time to get got hated it. yet. He was got just it. trying to pick up the pieces and then then got sick and died,
1: you know? Got it. Okay, so Tacitus got 18 months and he'll die from illness. Let's yep. see. The nice part is since we went two weeks since I like wrote all this, I don't quite remember. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be surprised alongside you. Perfect. All <laughs> right. So whatever the case of how he got in power, uh, Tacitus set out from Thrace where he linked up with the troops. Mm-hmm. Remember they were potentially getting ready to go east to Persia. Mm-hmm. That might be what they were doing. Early in 276 CE the army marched out east into Asia Minor and defeated some Heruli who were pillaging the area. After this victory Tacitus got himself the title Gothicus Maximus because Wow, it, that's quick. Are you uh, are you a crisis emperor if you, if you aren't don't get it yeah Gothicus right Gothicus Maximus like the Goths are the thing. <laughs> Um, word then reached him that some Franks and Alamanni were pushing into Gaul and causing a fuss because that's what they do. Mm -hmm, As mm -hmm. he set out back for the West, he died. Dang. Sources differ. Dang. (laughs) Either he died from disease. Okay.
0: Okay. Or was murdered. We're going to take disease. We're going to take
1: disease for a thousand. (laughs) yeah we'll go with that uh he was in charge for six months so we'll give you half a point there
0: dang it i was really hoping that since they jumped over a six-month period Tacitus had to be a little bit longer <laughs> tacitus
1: is potentially the six-month interregnum oh, okay that then goes to our next guy gotcha. who also is technically skipped because okay. the next guy is the one that's oh actually good so let me introduce you to florianus that's a nice name tacitus's praetorian prefect was there to assume the purple yeah that makes sense so let me get we are now (laughs) on the bottom of this notebook page that is how many emperors we have had in the crisis in the crisis since alexander severus yeah not counting all the sons who are also technically emperors yeah when they were dual leaders or whatever but they weren't actually yeah yeah so florianus how long? How will he die? Oh my God! Uh, it's not long, Florianus. Flor- <laughs> Florianus, he's
0: gonna last. He's gonna he's gonna last another four months. Four months. Uh huh. He will be murdered. Murdered. Yeah.
1: Care to care to specify by whom or for why?
0: It's almost positively just greed, like power greed, you know. So, by the next assumed to be emperor. All right, all right. Okay. Or or supporting factions of the next
1: soon to be emperor. It's all political. (laughs) Yeah. So, Florianus assumed power and almost immediately got word that all of the eastern provinces had risen up and declared for someone else. (laughs) Not him. Not that guy. I'm glad Aurelian put everything back together. (laughs) Yay. Uh, I mentioned this man last time, though, the one who just rose up in the east. Oh, come on so, now. Come on now. <laughs> you don't remember? When
0: you say the name, I'll remember it. I don't know if that's true. Or I'll pretend like I
1: remember there, it. I, there, there it is. So uh, Egypt, when uh, it was first invaded by Palmyra, mm-hmm. the Palmyrene Empire mm-hmm. last time, I said a man called Probus was in charge. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't the famous one. Then Aurelian sent another man called Probus to take Egypt back when Aurelian went east. That one. Okay. That Probus. Yeah, no, I remember this. Perfect. So he was named commander of the east by Aurelian, Mm -hmm. maybe, after the reconquest of the east. So Florianus had the larger force. But the heat and diseases from the east Ate away at the European soldiers As nice. they went to fight Who soon grew tired of the constant skirmishing And wanted to end this foolishness Do we need another civil war? I don't care Who's Florianus? Who's <laughs> this guy? I don't even like him Probus? Heard of Probus Sure, great One night Several men from Probus's camp Snuck into Florianus' camp Sounds And convinced great. a bunch of men To mutiny Yep Shortly thereafter Florianus was murdered By yep. his men yep. Woo! And Probus was affirmed as emperor did it all right so it's probably less than four months how, though right. oh i don't even have it oh, oh there we go two months and 20 yeah. days <laughs> so Dang. um oh did my pencil run out of lead no there we go so you get another half point because he was that's murdered. right and uh would you like to hear a fun quote from eutropius who is one of our ancient sources naturally quote florianus who had succeeded tacitus was in power for two months and 20 days, and did nothing worth remembering. Yeah,
0: he was literally (laughs) just moving with the people still, and they're like, who are you? No, 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 kill him. And he's like, what?
1: (laughs) Okay. Probus. Not our main character today. Oh, wow. But I will tell you, I almost made an episode on Probus. So, (laughs) how long will Probus last, and how will he die?
0: Oh, my God. Um... Who's mad about Probus now? People from the West, why not, right? Well, there's uh,
1: we're, there's still those Gauls, or the, the yeah, Franks in Gaul. The always,
0: there always are. Our man Probus is going to last seven months.
1: <laughs> For the listeners at home, I just <laughs> gave Jordan the... Maybe a little more. <laughs> so he's not the main character. He's not, but I almost made an
0: episode on him. That doesn't matter. You can do a lot in a little time. That's true. That's what all
1: my girlfriends have
0: said. Hey! He did, all right. And he did a lot before this moment. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm going to get two years. Okay. Two years max. We're going to leave years. it at that. Because it's going to be fighting. Most definitely just fighting more. Of Um, It's the crisis. Yeah, he'll just die on the battlefield. Battlefield. Because why not?
1: All right. So, Probus will last two years and die in battle. What a badass. Okay. Like I said, I thought about doing an episode. He's considered by many to be the second Aurelian. Okay. But not as interesting, by my opinion. Um, He came from an obscure background in the Danube provinces, climbed through the ranks, and proved himself to be one of the best commanders of his age. Unlike Aurelian and Florian. He uh, who could not have cared less about the Senate or their wishes, Probus spoke kindly to them and treated them with dignity and respect. He was in charge, obviously, but that doesn't mean he couldn't play nicely. Kind of going back to the old days of, let's pretend the Senate is in charge a little, sure. so they'll be nice and happy. Sure, sure. As I mentioned before, Tacitus had been preparing to move west to stop the Franks from ravaging Gaul. Then this brief civil war broke out, and surprise, surprise, the barbarians are still in Once secure in his position, Probus set out and began what would become a two-year campaign to regain control of Gaul and restore the Rhine frontier. Because will the Rhine frontier ever be calm? No. No. Mm -mm. No, it won't. Until later today. Uh, The destruction of the region was the worst it had been since Caesar had fought for a decade to conquer Gaul. Like, he spent 10 years destroying Gaul to conquer mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. This was worse by wow. most accounts. Gibbon states that upwards of 400,000 barbarians were oh, killed. That's a lot. During Probus's campaigns. And you must imagine that that's a lot of women and children, sure. not just soldiers. Yeah, just total annihilation. Yep. Even if that's an exaggeration, that's a lot of dead people. And that does not include the Romans, who are also being slaughtered. So... Lots of death. This was big. After a lot of very hard fighting and a fair bit of genocidal extermination, the region was secured. He looked at the state of the defenses along the Rhine and ordered work to be done on the fortifications that Hadrian had built way wow, back when. So long ago. Yeah, when Hadrian was traveling <laughs> so, around the empire. Yeah. yeah. There was no time to rest, however, and Probus quickly led his armies across the Rhine to defeat some more barbarians before moving further east to begin hunting a gang of bandits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That done, things seemed secure for the moment, and Probus was hopeful that his reign was now stable. And then the rebellions began. Good. In 280 CE, two men called Bonosus and Proculus had themselves declared joint emperors in the city of Cologne. They probably smelled very nice. After some hard fighting, Bonosis committed suicide and Proclus uh, may have run off to the Franks for refuge. He's <laughs> like, oh, no, this didn't work out. <laughs> you know what else didn't work out? <laughs> Running to the Franks for refuge. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, uh, they returned romance, they? him. Yeah, to, yeah they pieces were tr- or? No, live. Oh, good. So that uh, Probus could kill him. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Another insurrection broke out in the east, but the guy in charge was killed before Probus needed to get involved. Then someone up in Britain revolted. But this one was so insignificant, we don't even know that guy's name. He's like, yeah, no, I'm the emperor now. History will remember me forever. (laughs) Immediately dead. 2,000 years later, some dude in a podcast says, I don't know who he was. But (laughs) in 281 CE, Probus returned to Rome to celebrate his German victories with a triumph, one to match the splendor of Aurelians. And while he was at it, trying to be the next Aurelian, why not do the thing that Aurelian had always wanted to do but couldn't because he was murdered? (laughs) Invade Persia. Some might be wondering why invading Persia would be on Rome's to-do list at a time like this. They keep wanting to do it. You're like, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. you really have the resources? But we have to consider something. It's only been about 20 years since Valerian was captured by the Persians. And that sticks into a nation's zeitgeist quite a bit. He, The rumor was he was tortured, stuffed, and used as a footstool. Wow. So, some strong propaganda. Yeah, and the the people of Rome really wanted revenge for that. Mm-hmm, Plus, mm-hmm. there's probably some money over there. Probus set out east with his armies, ready to kick the teeth out of some Sassanid heads. Then word arrived that his Praetorian prefect Carus had roused several legions and had himself declared emperor. <laughs> yeah, there are multiple versions of this story. where it was not Carus's choice. Somewhere it was. Either way, Probus sent some forces to go deal with Charis, but when word arrived that those troops had then defected, the rest of Probus's army turned on him. Ugh. In short order, he was murdered near Sirmium by his own men. Yet another promising leader cut down because some troops were disgruntled or some prefect had high ambitions. Probus had reigned for six years. It had been six years? I jumped over a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Because we have a lot to talk about. So,
0: so he just didn't accomplish anything in six years. He uh, he cleared out all plants. Sh- whatever, man. <laughs> Who has Just out back and forth forever. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's just a standard at this point. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so Karis. Um, As with most in this period, what I just told you about Probus's downfall is highly speculative. Mm -hmm. Regardless, Charis had the empire in his hands and decided to send a letter to the Senate to let them know. Again, choosing not to go to Rome in person, most of these emperors have not gone. Yeah, ain't no time for that. Right. This was a slap in the face after Probus had spent six years being all pleasant to the senators. Mm -hmm. So how long will Charis last and how will he die?
0: My God, is he our main character yet? No.
1: Oh my God. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. <laughs> I told you I, I I'm <laughs> rushing because we have to cover a so lot. <laughs> yes.
0: Probably say I'm I'm gonna stick with the two-year guess. Another two year guess. Two years. Uh-huh. Alright. what's this guy doing? He's trying to he's gonna try to go fight Persia. Correct. He he let's see. They're gonna start the war. It's not gonna go well. And and his own men are gonna kill him.
1: I'm gonna tell you. I want you to think back to the opening of the the intro of the episode.
0: But he's not our main character yet.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> so what do you so.
0: He's gonna either get stabbed in the guts okay. or dissolved and turn into a gray goop.
1: <laughs> okay. So pick one. <laughs>
0: uh he's gonna get stabbed (laughs) stabbed for doing something to someone's wife apparently
1: stabbed for wife okay (laughs) cool all right so right away charis named his two sons as caesar these were carinus 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 i'm gonna go with carinus carinus and numerian It was important in these trying times with constant usurpation and invasion to have the succession secure. It's kind of crazy how few of these guys have kids. Yeah. I mean, I get child mortality, but you Mm -hmm. think like rich soldier people would have at least a few children that survived. Anyway, he has two. Shortly after, in early two hundred eighty three CE, Caris elevated his elder son Carinus. I'm gonna switch him back and forth. Carinus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Carinus, same guy, to the rank of Augustus. Wow. So, okay. How long will Carinus last? Oh my god. Don't worry, we're getting there.
0: Carinus is somehow gonna get trampled by a horse in uh in six months. Okay. It's very specific.
1: Trampled by a horse, I love it. Can you imagine if you were right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. How old are these kids? I'll get to that, but okay. they're in their 30s. Well, oh, well. <laughs> these are adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sticking with it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he kept his younger son, Numerian, with him as Caesar. Oh. And uh, Carinus, I probably mentioned this later, stayed west. Okay. To kind of rule All right. the west. Right, right, And right here is actually where I said it. And don't get it twisted. Both of these sons were in their <laughs> early 30s. So I think it says something that Carinus was elevated mm-hmm. and Numerian and was wasn't. not. wasn't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: So Carus opted for the Valerian Gallienus approach, a father-son Cole rule. Mm-hmm. He was... Almost 60, and so placed Corinus in charge of the west because Gaul was still a problem, and you need someone in charge over there. Meanwhile, Charis and Numerian set out for this invasion of Persia, which everyone had been trying to put together for like eight years now. Sure. The armies marched east, stopping along the Danube to defeat some Quadi, because that's what you do. Also, some Sarmatians needed to be put down. An estimated 16,000 barbarians were killed in this brief fighting just so many dead people mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. must have run out of space to bury people it's a lot and tens of thousands more were captured naturally our boy caris got the title of germanicus maximus nice and eastward they went remember mesopotamia the place where severus and Caracalla had annexed and shapur was really bad so he spent his 30 year reign invading the empire as revenge do you recall mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. well caris just took that back <laughs> so that's ours again we got mesopotamia <laughs> It is possible that he even made it to the Golden Goose of Tessaphon oh. and gave it a good old-fashioned sacking, but we don't know. So that kind of says maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. It highlights the poor nature of our sources that we don't know if one of the biggest capitals in this area, yeah, was had actually been invaded or not. Yeah, don't imagine Carus as some Aurelian-level military genius, though. The Sassanids were in a really bad spot at this point. They were fighting in modern Afghanistan, which is pretty far east. And there were internal problems that we will look at a bit later as well. They were essentially sitting ducks to be invaded. Still, that did not stop Charis and both his sons taking the title of Persechi Maximi. Because you got to share those titles. Charis had swooped in with his son and his legions and kicked Persia out for old time's sake, really. Things were going great. But there were storm clouds on the horizon. Oh boy. And not metaphorical clouds either. Get into the story. It looked like it was about to be a stormy night. Karras retreated to his imperial tent. Moments later, a loud crack ripped mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. the patter of rain. The tent was ablaze, a large hole oh. in the top of the fabric. Now that's just bad luck. Lightning had struck the tent <laughs> and Karras as well. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is a lovely quote from David Potter in The Empire at Bay that I think sums this tale up nicely. Quote, those who wish to believe this story may do so. Those who do not may wish to believe that Karras' success did not garner him the love and affection of his senior officers, and that the, quote, Lightning may have come in the form of torches hurled into his tent. Oh, so we don't. Oh, know. so his tent
0: caught on fire and he just didn't leave the tent. So there's yeah. the story. Lightning. He by lightning. And somehow he just he just he also just stayed in there and burned. It was fine. Yeah,
1: he, he was old. You know, maybe yeah, he couldn't yeah, get yeah, up. He just got scared. Dude. Yeah. No. He. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't us. Karis no. had rained for ten months. Okay. Yeah. So Numarian. Yeah, let's get new Marion on here, because now his is. Wait, okay.
0: Karis, you said think back to the story. Wait. I remember someone burning to death in the story. Someone burning to death? Well...
1: In in my I intro? I mean, Karis, I mean, yeah. In my intro, I did it as like a, a scene wipe. I did lightning and then a the scene cut. You did? Yeah. Yeah. So were you asking a question? No. Oh, okay. I just, I didn't
0: remember got it that there is someone stuck in a tent or, oh no or did not leave the tent
1: right yep it was right as he walked in the so tent marion's
0: I... probably gonna get stabbed in the stomach and his brother is probably the goop in the cart <laughs> 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 the way you described it it just really makes me That's... think there is there is murdered bodies that have been in this cart from across the land they've just been sitting in there <laughs> so is that what you're saying Numerian had i think Numerian's probably the one that got stabbed Stab- in the stomach by the horseman
1: okay so you said that about karis initially yeah, well yeah okay. but now
0: karis is dead and so, it didn't happen okay. yet so. <laughs> so stabbed
1: for wife.
0: yeah Again. i'm thinking Numerian's probably the one that got stabbed since he's still alive okay and i'm thinking his brother was in the cart
1: so karina's It wasn't trampled by a horse anymore. Correct.
0: Well, I mean, maybe, and then his body was thrown into a cart, but...
1: (laughs) I think, the, the horse pulling the cart, I think the, I think his ran body, him over, and they're like, yeah, just throwing the cart. I think his
0: body was delivered in a less than good fa- fashion. Yeah,
1: trying to get him to Rome, but parts made it. I don't know. You know. Trying to
0: send a message, being like, ha, we have the West. Your brother is dead. <laughs> Your brother
1: is dead. Okay, uh, I actually have like two paragraphs before I ask you how long Numerian will last. So, so the army was out in enemy territory on uh-huh. the verge of winning a very easy war, but their emperor was dead. So, this looks kind of like a Macrinus and Philip situation. I don't know if you remember both those guys, but they were in the same spot, where they were out east, Mm -hmm. and then they died. Yeah. And so, shit happens. Well, Macrinus was the one who stepped in when someone died. Fortunately, so was Philip. I'm getting it all backwards. Fortunately, (laughs) the Praetorian Prefect does not need to assume the purple this time. That's right. Because Karis had his son there. There's an heir right there. Yep. So... If Numerian was not already Augustus, because some sources claim he was mm-hmm. made Augustus while on campaign, he is now in charge. Mm-hmm. How long will he last and how will he die? So you said stabbed for wife. See, they're in They're in this war. Yep. Hmm. Do they win the war and
0: then all hell breaks loose? Or do they just say, nah, who needs a war? We're to infight instead right here in the middle of the battle. Hmm. Really seems like it's going to hit the fan soon. We're talking... We're talking months. Here. The goop's
1: going to hit the fan.
0: Yeah, yeah probably. Do, uh, they're in there. Battlefield. They're going to win the war first. They're going to win the war. It's an easy war. It's an easy war. Two months. It's going to last two months. Two months? And then he's going to get stabbed by that
1: horseman in the stomach. Okay. All right. Let's see. <laughs> so, new, uh, Numerian does not appear to have been the soldiering type. This might be mm-hmm. a stretch from what little we know, but let's roll with it. Fortunately for him, he had his father in law there to guide oh, him through this.
0: That's nice. Well, he's going to take over.
1: Praetorian <laughs> Prefect Lucius Aper was an experienced man who, with close ties to the family, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> he was a top advisor to Carus and Numerian, or excuse me, to Carus and Numerian had married the man's daughter. Mm. With Aper's guidance, Numerian was able to organize an orderly retreat from enemy territory. And back to the West. That's the face that I made when I read that. Yeah.
0: You're like, but you were winning. And I can't imagine that you didn't have a handle on military power to just be able to lead the rest of that.
1: Right. You just spent 10 months in a campaign. Like, do not. (laughs) Okay. All right. While researching this part, I was very curious if this meant there was a peace treaty, if the war was over. Turns out everyone was a bit confused. (laughs) (laughs) The Romans were dominating, and the marriage kind of went. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. No demands made. Let's go. And they're like, uh. <laughs> so Carinus, Hello? Numerian's brother and co-emperor, went, mm-hmm. or, who's back in the West, mm-hmm. had done the sensible thing when he heard about his father's death and rushed to Rome sure. to make sure everything was secure. Yeah. Numerian then took his sweet time marching his troops home. I've heard a few versions of this next bit, so I'm going to go with the one that's the most interesting to me. While leaving Persia, numerian caught some kind of eye infection oh yeah which must have been very unpleasant this is why the march was so slow numerian was very ill for context he was in syria in march of 284 and they only reached turkey modern turkey from syria in november oh march to november yeah, to, that's, that's to walk two runs, huh? a couple hundred miles. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not good. No, um, Aurelian had marched from Greece to Syria when uh-huh. Palmyra had risen up the second time in like a week or two. So this was crazy slow. Though unwell, he managed to do some imperial duties while he was stopped in a mess But after this, he withdrew from public view due to the eye infection, which was apparently getting really bad. He left Aper, his praetorian Mm -hmm. prefect, in charge of the day-to-day while the emperor rested in his litter. Mm. The march Mm -hmm. continued. (laughs) Mm. Mm. (laughs) After a short while, the men started to grow concerned. Oh God, he just he just died from sickness, and no one checked on this man.
0: He's gotta. no God, smells. Well, no kinda, one had seen him. Smells kind of bad in that car. Huh? Yeah, he hadn't come out
1: of this litter in days, maybe <laughs> I'm not, weeks. I'm either. not gonna knock on the door. You knock on the door. You knock on the door. I'm not well, on the, door. the problem was, Apr wasn't letting anyone see them. Oh, Aper was like, dude, he's dead, but they can't know that yet. <laughs> yes, exactly put that. Some,
0: put some flowers on the door. It's fine. Just <laughs> seal up.
1: There's something leaking. Oh god! <laughs> oh man! Someone eventually approached Aper to point out it smells like a corpse. Yeah, and he's like, nah. "And we're getting kind of sick of this." So once he was backed into a corner, Aper opened the litter doors to reveal the goop. Yeah, <laughs> of Numairi. Dang, he had reigned for one year and four months. It kind of.
0: I mean, <laughs> like he existed for a year and four months after his father died. That's true. Yes, yes, it's <laughs> true. In misery and yeah. various levels of degradation. Yeah, that's that's poor. For that. Maybe he had leprosy. Like, oh maybe yeah, he maybe leprosy. Maybe he-
1: disregard the holes in his chest, but maybe it was leprosy. I'm just like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> okay, so what's going on here? Is a little wild. Mm-hmm, Seems mm-hmm. strange. So Aper claimed to have concealed Numerian's condition, hoping to get the army safely back west before announcing that Numerian had succumbed to his eye infection. Sure, It was soon decided by the generals and officers that a council should be called to choose Numerian's successor, which is a strange thing. When you already have exactly the, the brother there's, who's already a ruler. There's an yeah. emperor. He's there. He exists. They didn't care. <laughs> the, uh, of course not. Why would they? So in Nicomedia, the vote was held. Praetorian Prefect Aper did his best to convince the senior officers of the army to choose him. But it would appear that he did not have the support he had hoped he he Mm. (laughs) had. But it would appear that he did not have the support he had hoped he had. On the day of the vote, the commander of the Protectores Domestici, a man called Gaius Aurelius Valerius Diocles, was chosen by the army... (laughs) As their new emperor. I mean, how are you not with that name? Right? It's Aurelius. <laughs> Valerius? Yeah. Come on. For the record, the Protectores Domestici, which I am positive I'm saying 100% correctly, was <laughs> was an elite cavalry unit attached to the imperial household. That makes so sense. think Praetorians on horseback. Mm-hmm, yeah. And with less of the like history of killing emperors. Sure. Well, they're they're young.
0: You know. Yeah. We we'll got time. It. We have time <laughs> to got do time this. To kill
1: emperors. <laughs> Aper was likely disappointed, seeing his chance at absolute power slip through his hands. No matter, though, he could just continue in his prefect role and pull the strings as he had done for the last couple of years. As the new emperor Diocles stepped before the men with Aper and the other generals, he drew his sword and raised it in the air. The men obviously went nuts and they cheered. They cheered their new emperor. It was a great time. Then he began to speak, and the men went quiet. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. The essence of what he said was this: "Thank you, soldiers." For this wonderful gift of imperium, I shall not fail you in the field nor at home.
0: Well, well.
1: <laughs> but do you know who has failed you? Oh, nice.
0: Let's start the propaganda campaign against the other guy, the brother.
1: The, what's his name? Nope. No. Nope. Aper. He's gonna say Aper failed The man you. who no, murdered man. our beloved Numerian. Oh boy. <laughs> there was a stirring in the crowd. Murder. I the, thought Numerian died of he an got eye infection. infection. What are you talking about? <laughs> Confusion permeated the men until Diocles spoke again. Oh man. After the most unfortunate death of our beloved Caris, the magnanimous Numerian was struck down in his prime, not by some ailment of the eyes, but by a misplacement of trust. I really was. I
0: really hoped he was going to say misplacement of a spear or
1: something. <laughs> just, just accidentally. This knife's just this. not where it's supposed to be, if I'm honest. <laughs> The man who murdered Numerian stands with me on this stage. The man who conspired for the purple and who committed regicide for his own gain. Diocles leveled his sword to point directly at Aper's heart. Dang. Aper was stunned into inaction, as you would be. like, I'm dead. All right, well. (laughs) He stood there, frozen, staring at Diocles and the tip of the sword. The sword seemed to move in slow motion as Mm -hmm. Aper watched the emperor take his swing. Despite its lethargy... Aper could not avoid the blade strike. <laughs> <laughs> Diocles stood over the corpse of the prefect, blood pooling around his feet, staining the new purple robe he wore. After a moment of stunned silence, the men erupted into cheers. Naturally. Diocles looked out at his troops, smiled, and raised his sword high, Aper's blood flying everywhere. That's crazy. You're like, ha,
0: he did a thing. I killed him for it. Love me. Oh, Why? Wow, he must be right. <laughs> Got it. He must be right.
1: <laughs> okay. This all seems like a very wild series of events.
0: yeah. Um, well, it seems pretty on par for the it, crisis,
1: really. It kind of <laughs> yeah, you know, two two emperors dying quickly, Praetorian prefect, you know, yeah, lots of murder. makes it's, sense. Yeah. But now, let's play a game. Mm-hmm. called, Is Any of This True? Oh, bum, well, bum.
0: That's tough to say.
1: Well, but this is going to be basically like a multiple choice quiz show. Okay. Where there's one question and no correct answer. We're going to well, decide exactly. the canon of this event
0: right here, okay, right now. Okay, just like whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. Everything's made up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So this is going to be the official canon for the rest of history. Oh, And wow. I have five options for you. It's a good declaration kay. to make. The first one. A series of unfortunate events. Hmm, yes Caris was struck by lightning. Numerian was oh. struck by an eye infection. Oh. Aper attempted to conceal Numerian's death to keep the army from falling apart, and Diocles mistakenly but reasonably accused Aper of murder. because it looks like that. I don't think all of those things are true. I'm gonna go
0: for the next option. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Number two, series of slightly calculated events. There we go. The same thing as before, except everyone was a little more deliberate. Hmm. Aper did not murder Numerian But he intentionally concealed his death To give himself time to be in charge And gain support of the men Then Diocles saw his opportunity To remove a powerful rival And gain support Thanks to the rumors That Aper had killed Numerian So everyone's innocent But they're all conniving Sure Three Boo Aper Yay Diocles (sighs) Aper wanted to become emperor Either he murdered Charis or Charis died naturally, unclear, but he definitely murdered Numerian seeing as the young man was not fit for the job. But when Diocles was elected by the men, Aper knew his position was precarious, and seeing as Diocles was now in charge, he could not let a man who had murdered an emperor stay alive. Number four, Hmm. the betrayal. Aper and Diocles were in it together the whole time. Wow. The two were the top bodyguards in their respective areas and had intimate access to both emperors while on campaign. They conspired to kill Charis when it seemed they could get away with it, then big up the story about lightning to throw the scent off. Aper then killed Numerian and assumed some of the duties of the Emperor, hoping they could find a way to be declared Emperor. Either way, one of them was going to be Emperor, and when Diocles was voted, Aper assumed they'd carry on as a duo. But Diocles, being the smart guy, was like, (laughs) heh, slash.
0: Hmm.
1: The final one, poor Aper. Diocles murdered everyone and framed Aper. Just, just <laughs> murdered them all, and he couldn't prove it. Just yelling, "Boy cries wolf." No one believed him. He's just—he's the Praetorian. He's the only Praetorian prefect in history who's actively trying to protect mm-hmm, his emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually doing his job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I really
0: hope I'm really hoping I want to go with number two. Number I want to go with number two or it's slightly unfortunate events where uh uh the dude was probably. It burned in the tent on purpose. By Karis. Karis was probably just killed, unfortunately. Yeah, but I think Numerian did get sick, and Um, Um, Aper was like, "Ooh, you can't die right now. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna get home. We're just yeah, gonna get you home. You want me to be in
1: charge?" And then, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah you're dead. okay, still <sighs> I'm
0: still in charge. No, no it's, he's fine. He's just resting. Aper is resting. Don't worry yep. about it. Don't yep. go crazy right now. Okay, I, I want that to be more true, and then, and then the other guy. Was just he thought this looks fishy. Why would you hide it so long? Look at you thinking the best in people. Yeah, that's okay. what I want. So we're going with number now, two. Now, oh. if they were in it together the whole time, wow, <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> what a story! That is a twist. You know, yeah, you can't write a better tale than that. <laughs> so two or four? I want to go with two. You want to
1: go? Oh, the goodness two. of my heart. <laughs> okay,
0: okay, we'll go with number
1: two. Series of slightly calculated events.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Okay good 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 so that's canon now so who's diocles who is this guy by the way (laughs) this is our guy oh this is
0: our guy okay okay
1: i'm gonna go ahead and put him down here i'll ask you in a second (sighs) for your for your input okay so as i said we're here diocles is now emperor one of the first things he does is he changed his name and thank goodness he would now be known as gaius aurelius valerius Diocletianus. Okay. Better known today okay. as Diocletian. Okay. A, f- a couple months ago, our friend was over, and uh, she mentioned this emperor. I don't know if you heard it, but I went, yes, but don't talk about him because that's next.
0: I remember you saying that, yes. and i just being like, doesn't matter. And then you I said, won't I remember. Won't remember. <laughs> <Yeah. Yes. laughs> okay. Correct. I was right. I
1: did not remember. <laughs> Correct. So Diocles, who I'll eventually hear start just calling Diocletian, um, came kind of out of nowhere. He didn't, you know, that story had nothing to do with him until right now. He was likely born in the Dalmatia region near modern Croatia and sometime between 242 and 245 CE. His early life, like most of those from this region and time period, is pretty much lost to time. Eutropius mentions that his father may have been a scribe or even a freedman, so a freed hmm. slave. Probably around the age of 20, which was typical for the army, Diocletian joined up in the ranks and began to climb. It is believed that he was mentored and led by Aurelian himself which is pretty cool. It would also line up given the time period. He may also have overseen one of the forces of the lower Danube region during his like middle career. The first concrete evidence we have of his existence comes from 282 CE, two years before he becomes emperor. That's how little we know about him. This is when Emperor Karis makes him the commander of the Protectoris Domestici. This was such a huge promotion that the following year in 283 CE, he was awarded a consulship. Mm. So he's clearly impressed people. But despite these high honors, Diocletian may already have had his eyes on a higher position. I do my best not to use the Historia Augusta, as I've mentioned before, uh, because it's stupid and mostly made up. But it is very fun. So I'm going to share a fairly long quote here that I think is quite interesting and fits into the story quite well. Quote, I do not consider it too painstaking or yet too much in the ordinary manner to insert a story about Diocletian Augustus that seems not out of place here. An incident which he regarded as an omen of his future rule. If I remember right, the author of the Historia Augustus, the Historia Augusta, claims that he's writing it during Diocletian's reign. Mm,
0: okay. And most
1: historians think that's a lie. Sure. But he, he often talks to to or about diocletian as if he's present so this story my grandfather related to me having heard it from diocletian himself so i might be wrong it might be constantine where he where he's writing anyway quote when diocletian he said while serving in a minor post was stopping at a certain tavern in the land of the tungri in gaul and was making up his daily reckoning with a woman who was a druidess, she said to him, Diocletian, you are far too greedy and far too stingy. To which Diocletian replied, it is said, not in earnest, but only in jest, I shall be generous enough when I become emperor. At this, the druidess said, so he related, do not jest, Diocletian, for you will become emperor when you have slain a boar which is a strange really wordy thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's very important to know that the word for bore in latin is aper oh well yep so That's a nice story. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much all of the emperors uh, in the Historia Augusta have these prophecies. Mm -hmm. You know, they're a superstitious bunch. But that one's fun. Yeah, It kind of lines up with our story a bit. That's what I'm saying. He saw the opportunity. It's like, oh my God, that's my boar. (laughs) That's my boar. That's my boar. I'm going to be emperor. Time to kill him. He saw his opportunity and he took it. Diocletian, somewhere in the ballpark of 40 years old, was now emperor. At least according to the men standing around him holding swords and shields. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as we know... There's another emperor. Yeah, Carinus sat in Rome, the accepted, legitimate heir to Carus and Numerian, standing with far more troops and far more prestige. After all, who is Diocletian? Yeah, Never heard know. of him. Carinus was not liked. However, much of this may be propaganda from after the fact, but it is said in many sources that Carinus was not a pleasant man at all. He started his reign on good footing. Like I said, he went up to Gaul to sort out all that unrest and an invasion, which had plagued the region for years by now. Ten months later, when word reached him of his father's death in the east, he rushed back to Rome, leaving the cleanup of Gaul to his legates. It is said that once he was in Rome, the sources are began to paint this scene of decadence, indulgence, and vengeance. Mm. It is claimed that he married and divorced nine women and also executed men who had been rude to him before his ascension. Most of this is likely exaggerated or untrue. Either way, Carinus now found himself in a civil war for his newly acquired empire. He was in a good spot. He was in the capital and had more troops than Diocletian. It seems unlikely, however, that Carinus would have had the same level of military experience as Diocletian, who had been nearly, who was in probably his 20th year of service. Remember though, that Diocletian was not like Aurelian. He was not the one leading battles. Aurelian was a general by the time he was emperor. Um, Diocletian was a bodyguard, essentially, and a Mm -hmm, soldier. mm -hmm. But since this is the crisis, nothing can be simple for the sitting emperor. At around the same time as Numerian's death and Diocletian's ascension, another man rose up in northern Italy. This was Marcus Aurelius Julianus, (laughs) uh, who quickly spread his influence east into Pannonium. This played perfectly into Diocletian's propaganda machine. He could point to this new revolt as evidence of Carinus' cruelty, pushing his people to rise up. Whoever won, Diocletian could swoop in for the third party, take Mm -hmm. the win for himself, and then be like, See, I either stopped a tyrannical emperor or stopped a usurper. See, I'm uniting us. Uh, It's fine. I'm the good guy. Carinus made short work of Julianus' revolt, which left the door open for Diocletian to drop in on his battered forces. The location of this battle is not known with any certainty, but it was likely near modern Belgrade. The fighting was very tough, as is often the case in civil wars, but having more troops, Carinus took an early advantage and looked to be winning the battle. Then, his Praetorian prefect, Tiberius Claudius Aurelius Aristobulus, Aristobulus, decided that this was not going to work out. Even if Carinus won, which was still not guaranteed, Diocletian had the might of the east at his disposal. The war was unwinnable in Aristobulus' mind, and so he switched sides. The ancient sources claim that Carinus was murdered during this battle by one of his officers for forcing the man's wife to have sex with him. Well, there you go. This is likely later slander, and modern historians assume that Aristobulus was the officer who betrayed Carinus, but his reasoning was more pragmatic than vengeful. Once word got around the battlefield that Carinus was dead and Aristobulus had defected, the battle was all but over. How do you think this all played out for Aristobulus? Aristobulus died. Oh. Well, according to Pat (laughs) Southern, it was a very good move. Oh. After clearly having a, already having a solid career that peaked at Praetorian Prefect, Aristobulus continued on in that role under Diocletian for the rest of that year and was even made consul. Honestly, surprising. I feel like most of the history we just saw, we should kill him. He got too greedy. He tried to do the same thing to me. Right. Yeah. Well, we have records of several other high ranking posts, including the proconsulship of Africa, which is money, 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 and a few others. So he chose the right horse in this race. Yeah. Anyway, Carinus had reigned for just under two years from 283 to 285. 84 i mean excuse me so you were wrong Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's okay shocking (laughs) now the question how long will diocletian last and how will he die no one knows history's fake i gotta look (laughs) i gotta look how long we've been recording because we've gone a long time now and Mm -hmm. we are just into our boy Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. been an hour yeah okay hustle i i considered making this a two-parter but we're going to we're just we're going to roll with it. Okay. How long will he last? And a hint, it's
0: long. Mm, well, what do you mean by long? Okay. We've had we've had some long
1: reigns. The longest in the crisis was oh, wow. Gallienus, 15 years.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: I was going to say like 8
0: years, but he's only he's in his 40s, right? You said. Yep. He's in Round his 40s. 40. Okay. 13 13 13 years. years. Uh Okay.
1: And how does he die? Uh,
0: Is it going to be another just unfortunate case of he did a good job and then someone was upset so he died? (laughs) I don't know. Will it? Uh, The Senate's going to kill him.
1: Senate's going to kill him?
0: Yeah, the Senate's going to start getting angry after a while because he's going to be mean to him. Okay. For some reason.
1: Senate murders him. Yep. Okay, 13 years, Senate murders him. Let's figure this out. So, Carinus's men swore allegiance to their new emperor, and Diocletian set off for Italy. It is possible that he immediately had to deal with some quadi and marcomanni, mm. but little is known. It is also debated whether Diocletian visited Rome at this early point in his reign. As we have seen, the Eternal City was not the heart of the imperial government it had once been. Gone were the days where the emperor sat idly in the capital and had dinners with senators. Diocletian was a low-born soldier who now had command of the empire. What did he need Rome for? Exactly. So the Senate's mad. <laughs> so they're going to murder <laughs> him. all working out. 13 it's years. All coming together. Well, it takes a while. It they takes a while, a while to get power, together. You know, yeah. Gotta... <laughs> so whether he went to Rome or not, he sent word on what to do with the members of Carinus' administration. Mm. Let him keep working. He said it's fine. fine. Yeah. No reprisals needed. Let's just keep this ball rolling. The question of succession had been on Diocletian's mind from the moment he put the purple on. Because clearly Mm -hmm. that's the problem. Aurelian and Probus had both done so much in a super short time, but didn't have sons and no clear air. Diocletian also had no sons, but... He sought to remedy the succession problem right away. To adopt someone. You got it. We have seen time and again emperors raising someone up to Caesar to help share the burden of rule and demonstrate the succession for all to see. Mm -hmm. Marcus Aurelius had insisted that Lucius Verus serve as co-Augustus with him. That role, like those that would follow, would technically have two emperors with supreme power, but one of them's in charge. Sure, yeah. Valerian and his son Gallienus had done this quite successfully for the first seven or eight years until Valerian was captured. To help prove the efficacy of this strategy, Gallienus was able to smoothly continue his government after his father's capture. Smoothly might be a bit generous, but you know, K- Carus and his sons had been doing the very same thing. So it was obvious that the empire was too large for one man to rule alone. So Diocletian raised his friend Maximian to the rank of Augustus. There are some schools of thought that state he was first made Caesar and then Augustus a little later. We'll see. Maximian had much the same upbringing and career as Diocletian. He was a lifelong military man who had served with Diocletian under Aurelian and Probus. As Aurelius Victor puts it, quote, Maximian was a colleague, trustworthy in friendship, if somewhat boorish, and of great military talents. Mm. How long will Maximian last and how will he die?
0: Ugh. There's too many people There are Hey This isn't the last of them Well he's gonna Die before uh, Diocletian
1: Okay So less than 13 years
0: Uh huh Uh huh He's gonna He's gonna die in like Like three years
1: Three years Yeah
0: And Mm how Let's just be nice And just say He just He just Unfortunately died On the battlefield No like Betrayal Just happened you know, people die in war.
1: They do? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We should avoid that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. So now that the succession's secure, it was time to get things sorted, <laughs> or you thought? For years by this point, and possibly since years ago when Aurelian retook Gaul, the Gallic provinces had been struggling. Remember Gaul had broken away completely? Mm-hmm. Aurelian reconquered, and since then it's just kind of been like ugh, invasions, people unhappy. This sounded like the perfect job for the new Caesar or joint emperor, whatever mm-hmm, it was, mm-hmm. and so it was that in 285 CE Maximian began his campaign in Gaul. Yeah, the enemy was an obscure bunch, and it is not entirely clear who made up their ranks. They were generally called the Bagaudae, okay, Bagaudae, and were a peasant revolt essentially, likely including military deserters and local Gallic aristocrats. Aurelius Victor simply refers to them as bandits. Sure. Uh, Pat Southern sums it up nicely, quote, oh, and also I may have mentioned Pat Southern a few times in some other episodes and said he, I found out it's Patricia Southern. Oh, okay. So that's my bad. Apologize, Miss or Mrs. Southern. Quote, the Gallic bandits of the third century were perhaps typical of the sort of society in which law and order have broken down to the point where everyone has to fend for himself and where an honest living is impossible to achieve. If your society is in crisis for 50 years, people are going to start doing bad things to survive. Oh, yeah. So these were probably very desperate and angry men who had nothing to lose. In any case, Maximian went to work fighting against this revolt. In a panegyric from 289 CE, it is stated that he was victorious within the year. We know little to nothing of the campaign itself, and most of it was not recorded because it was essentially a civil war, and we don't like to get titles and triumphs from civil wars. Mm -hmm, It's kind of nasty. mm -hmm. With the internal revolt resolved for the moment, Maximian had to turn his attention to the latest external threat, Frankish and Saxon pirates raiding the English Channel. Oh, boy. It is pretty neat talking about Franks and Saxons, Mm -hmm. because these, if you don't know, are the groups that will spend the next five centuries forming England and France. Yeah,
0: it's like, dang. Yeah,
1: we're getting there. Got old ties, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it goes back a while. But for now, they are just raiding the coasts and generally making a nuisance of themselves. To deal with this problem, Maximian appointed his highly trusted, super-skilled soldier who used to drive a boat for a living, nice. Carausius. Nice. We know almost nothing about Carausius before this time, but he must have impressed the emperor during the Gallic campaigns. Basically, he was given the small fleet of the north and told to build and borrow all the ships he could to deal with the pirates. Aye, aye, captain, he probably said before rushing off to the coast. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> In English, too. (laughs) Maximian had chosen well. Reports were soon in that Carousius was destroying raiding fleets left and right. There was, like, a problem, though. Mm. Sure, Carousius was beating a bunch of raiders, but his timing seemed a bit off. Like, it always happened that the raiders would show up, rape and pillage, plunder, and then Carousius would show up and defeat them. And also... Has anyone gotten any of their stuff back? I was like, this man is just like waiting no? for them to take
0: the treasure for him so he yeah. can just take it. So, <laughs> so the pirates
1: pirate and then a, he pirates the pirates. Yeah, it's, I mean, hey, it's a
0: lucrative move.
1: Yeah, it <laughs> certainly was. Uh, whether these rumors were true or not, Maximian felt he needed to do something. And so he signed Carousius's arrest warrant. Oh, how I think that went down.
0: Well, it seems like that guy's got a lot of men and some power underneath him, so uh-huh. I don't think it'll win well.
1: Well, he has boats, too. That's true. He heard the news, hopped on his ship, just left. booked it for Britain. <laughs> he was like, okay,
0: bye. What are you going to do? I've got the fleet. I'm rich. I have all these people in this fleet. I'm just going to go
1: start my own thing over here. Yeah. What are you going to... How are you going to even get here?
0: <laughs> you know, you have,
1: I have yeah. the boats. <laughs> so, all right, well, what bye. do you think the next step is for Carousius? <laughs> i don't know declare himself emperor of course
0: but he's just le- what he's just leaving the country but, no, but I'm, I'm gonna be emperor over there though i'm yeah. emperor
1: but i'm i'm gonna be over there Yeah, i'm gonna be in britain <laughs> i'll be <laughs> the emperor of britain <laughs> oh my God. obviously yeah whatever yeah we actually haven't had reason to talk about britain for a long time yeah <laughs> aside from us sl- like a slight we're gonna talk about it for a lot oh, okay. okay okay well, that makes sense um I think it's telling how easily all these legions went. Yeah, I'll switch to Caroussius' side. My thought, and I didn't see this anywhere, is he was greasing the wheels with the mm-hmm. money he was stealing oh. in advance, so that when he had to run, probably they would that be would ready for sense. him They'd be like, "I will, you know, reward you handsomely." Yep, <laughs> I'm about to be emperor, guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Either way, we now once again have a breakaway state, and this time it's across a lot of water. Yeah, and in con- and they have all the ships. But was it a breakaway state? Or is it just another emperor? Because we already have two. And I mean, this... but two of them are co-emperors. You know, right. So. <laughs> well, so Carousius was thinking, why not three? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and like he, it. Seriously, he seriously meant this. His coins depict this mindset because oh, yeah. he has his head on one side and Diocletian and Maximian on the other and refers to them as brothers and proclaims imperial peace what <laughs> and and my favorite is uh so peace is Pax you know yeah, Pax romana yeah. so on his coins uh it says pax Aug so like Pax oh, augustus okay. with three G's oh that's funny yeah so I like that guy's a little delusional I think oh yes uh, he's oh, yes. like well, are, maybe not say. maybe not because okay. what all that really matters to decide if he's delusional or not is what Diocletian thinks I mean yeah but why would he just be like oh that's fine
0: I know you just let them murder uh murder rape and pillage everything and then you just took all of it for yourself and then said you have this power and left that's fine
1: so you don't think diocletian went for it
0: he might because everything's so chaotic of course he, he didn't no, okay. no 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> that's not... it makes some kind of sense like yeah more emperors more you know sure but no. not a usurper no you took it by force man so that was not okay um As I mentioned earlier, Maximian might have been Caesar at this point and not Augustus. Mm. But if so, right now is when Diocletian says, no, no, no. Fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. You are emperor. Go deal with him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So either way, Maximian is now officially Augustus. Diocletian likely felt that the West was becoming too unstable, obviously. And instead of blaming or degrading Maximian, he elevated him Mm. to show we are strong and we are united. And the west could use that confidence boost while we were discussing the peasant revolt and the pirates and carousius breaking away franks and alamanni were sweeping across the rhine again as they always do constantly and these barbarians were clearly the more pressing issue since carousius like posthumous decades earlier seemed content to hold his new lands and leave the rest of the empire alone Mm. So, well, I might as well go deal with the actual threat and mm-hmm, leave him mm-hmm. to his whatever. And, you know, meanwhile, Carousey is like, can I be in the club? Can I be in Augustus, please? <laughs> no, let me in. It's fine. So Maximian set to work. We have almost no t- detail about these campaigns apart from some mention of scorched earth tactics near oh. the end. But let's just say that between 285 and 288, Jesus. Maximian did well and secured the remains of Gaul and the Rhine frontier. Okay. One story tells us that a man called King Genobaudes, I think I might actually have gotten that, surrendered all his people to Maximian, who then settled them and many other barbarians along the Rhine to protect the border and to supply men for the Roman army. They could never get enough men during these wars, obviously. Mm -hmm. This trend of resettling defeated tribes has been going on for a long time now for that very reason. What I'm going to, this episode is going to be a lot of jumping around. So be ready for that. Back to Diocletian now. Back in 285, right around the time they all get started, while Maximian was heading up to Gaul, mm-hmm. Diocletian was meeting with a large band of Sarmatians, barbarians. They gave him an ultimatum. Allow us to settle and graze on your lands or help us reclaim our ancestral lands for the, from those who took it, because we're currently in a bad spot. Which option do you think Diocletian went with?
0: I don't know, man. Does he have any reason to be just befriend them? Well, I guess he wouldn't have war, but, well, he'd have a different war fighting with them instead of against them. I think he's going to let them uh, just kind of hang out on their land and just going to bite him in the butt.
1: Nope. He opted for choice oh. three, wipe out the Sarmatians. Oh, he said, I'm just going to kill you all. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. said, hey, help us, please. <laughs> I can help you not just gonna have you problems all. at all anymore. Yeah,
0: right? What's the best way of getting rid of your issues? Not existing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, he, uh, he won some impressive victories, but like those before him, you know, with any large group, you really can't eradicate them. No. And so, those who remained slipped back across the river to bide their time. Remember that the Sarmatians are around. With that sorted, in 286 and 287, Diocletian moved further east. Remember how Charis had reached Tessaphon, then died, and Numerian became emperor, and just sort of left Persia? Yeah, he was like, okay, bye. Yeah. Numerian had walked away from the war... And the Persians were in no position to follow up. Mm -hmm. So the war was still happening. Yeah, it was just kind of like a pause. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Been a few years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, we're still at war. Okay, so we are now four years removed from Karras' death. So many were wondering whether the fighting would or should resume rome had been winning by all accounts and the persians were still too unstable to stop a concerted attack the sassanids had also placed one of shapur's sons on the throne of armenia which was a pretty aggressive play given the history of the region does that all make sense i said a lot of words Mm -hmm. so how do you think diocletian approached this situation more war more war i don't know. He, he chose a firm but fair approach. Oh. Firstly, he reintegrated Mesopotamia into the empire. That land we took, mm-hmm. that we both want, that's ours. Sounds mine. Why don't you just shut up about yeah. <laughs> it? Next, he placed a man called Tiridates in charge of a portion of Armenia. Shapur's son, King Narses, came to an agreement with Tiridates, and the two ruled their halves of Armenia. Okay. So we split it, just like the empire.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: King Varum II of Persia was still far too busy with internal problems to even bother resisting that. Okay, (laughs) sure, whatever. That's fine, man. That's fine, do it. (laughs) Along with this, Diocletian reorganized Syria and boosted the defenses along the Euphrates, helping prevent future problems with the Sassanids. This diplomatic approach saved men and resources in the East, which was perfect, because Diocletian needed all the men he could get back in the West. Mm -hmm. Around 287... Diocletian was heading back west while Maximian was fighting the Franks and the Alamanni in Gaul. So Carausius is now in Britain, Maximian's fighting in Gaul, Diocletian's moving back. It was around this time that the emperors chose to closely link themselves with a pair of gods. We saw Aurelian do this with Sol Invictus, and most emperors had their favorite gods and tried to tie themselves to them. Diocletian tied himself to Jupiter, the chief god of the Roman pantheon. And assume the title Jovius. Okay. Maximian, being the subordinate but super powerful junior emperor, tied himself to Hercules, who was nice. Jupiter's muscle. Maximian's new title was Hercules. I admit I'm not a mythology guy, but I thought Hercules was originally Greek and Jupiter was Roman, so I guess they mashed them together at some point. I'm sure there's, there's a pantheons. lot of overlap. Yeah. yeah. Or some guy who was Hercules in Rome mm-hmm. but didn't have the name. Yeah. Anyway, on top of this, Diocletian was putting forth the image of himself not as the first man amongst equals, as Augustus had done 300 years earlier, but as a true emperor god. Oh. A being to be worshipped and revered in life, not just after he died and was deified. Aurelian had a similar aura about himself, the quote, remote and sanctified emperor, mm-hmm. as Southern puts it. Aurelian was focused on a personal god in soul, but Diocletian wanted to return to the roots of the Roman pantheon, which is why he chose Jupiter, the top god. With the spiritual union of the emperors thus complete, the physical reunion soon followed. In 288 CE, Diocletian and Maximian set about making war against the Alamanni together. Again, no details, but they were successful. The following year in 289, the Sarmatians reared their heads again and Diocletian spent another campaigning season putting them down. Then, in 290 CE, Diocletian fought and defeated the Saracens, who were an Arabian tribe, so he must have gone back east. (sighs) Maximian, meanwhile, finally felt secure enough to go and deal with Carousius, because he'd handled the Franks. Um, And Carousius was still, all these years later, pretending to be ruling Britain and Northwest Gaul, because, yes, Northwest Gaul had also revolted, As I mentioned before, we know most of these early campaigns of Maximian from a panegyric from the region written in 289. A panegyric is essentially just, you know, life story, career, Mm -hmm. written down. This inscription tells us that around the time of its writing, Maximian was preparing to assault Britain and bring Carousius to heel. The next inscription from two years later in 291 is suspiciously quiet about Carousius and this campaign. Also... Carausius was still ruling Britain. (laughs) So I think it's safe to say that this expedition of Maximians was a failure. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 290 CE rolled around and Diocletian was more or less content with the stability of the empire. There were no more invasions or uprisings with the glaring exception of Britain. Well, let's not talk about that, Maximian. In fact, Maximian's failed invasion of Britain is speculated as a reason for Diocletian's return from the east. Kind oh. of a, dude, okay, we got to figure this out. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. isn't working. Diocletian had now ruled for six years, outperforming almost all emperors of this era. This meant it was time for some celebrations. Oh, sure. Why not? Maximian began to venture south through Gaul and into the Alps to meet Diocletian in northern Italy. The two men then made a slow progress through northern Italy before stopping at their final destination, which was the magnificent city of. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I, I hoped you would say Rome, but. Oh, okay, yeah. Say Rome confidently. Rome! No! Oh, okay. Milan! Oh, Milan. sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. No time to go down to stinky old Rome. The emperors needed to go where the action was, and the action was in and around Milan. Plus, Milan was strategically placed to allow the emperors to leave in a hurry should any barbarians come rushing in. And remember, Milan was the place where Gallienus's cavalry had been set up mm. so that they could quickly respond to problems all around the empire. Anyway, in 291 CE the two emperors arrived in Milan and massive celebrations were held. The people got lots of free food and drink and everyone had a great time. This was obviously a political move as it helped to show the people that the state and the emperors were still very much united in their aims. And just look at how successful we've been these last seven years now. And while everyone was having a great time, Diocletian pulled Maximian aside for some private discussions. Mm. Time to look at how the empire was doing and decide how things should be handled moving forward. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, We do not know with any certainty what was discussed at these meetings. One thing that likely came up was the reality of the situation with the military. They needed more competent generals in the field, but almost every successful general was declared emperor as soon as they yeah. won a battle. Yeah, <laughs> Sure, they had two emperors who were soldiers who could lead troops, but the border was massive, yeah, and there's not always enough. issues. And Carousius, the one guy given some power dipped out immediately and made in. Was yeah. like cool i'm gonna take all of this and leave yeah <laughs> so the two continued their chats for a few days or weeks while the celebrations continued then they parted ways perhaps with plans for the future already in mind this would be the last time the two emperors would see each other for many years to come mm. oh and have you noticed how diocletian has still made zero effort to show any respect to the city of rome Yes, which makes the Senate angry. Senate's angry. <laughs> it's and working they're, out. They're sharpening their knives. I'm telling you. last seven years, they've.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the following two years were relatively stable and quiet. Carousius was still in Britain, but otherwise things were calm and secure. Then, in 293 CE, the next big change of Diocletian's administration went into effect. Both emperors would name a Caesar. Oh. That's new. Very new.
0: Yeah, okay, this is interesting. All yes. right, okay.
1: But this was is not to imply that they would simply name an heir. These Caesars would be junior emperors.
0: Sure, They're, that this is their plan to get generals who aren't going to betray them, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
1: This made perfect sense given the circumstances. We need these generals mm-hmm. who are ambitious obviously, but They're already going to become emperor. Yeah,
0: like you are in the royal line right now. Yeah, you are. So there's no reason for you to just murder the current emperor. (laughs)
1: Exactly. It's like you have infinite power bar the guy ahead of you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One person above you, otherwise you're in charge. And once that guy's gone, you will be in charge. So just do your job. It'll be easy. So let's take a look now at who the two chose. Maximian chose a man called Constantius. Constantius was, obviously, a lifelong military man, born along the Danube, Danube, because they all are. It is said that he was related to Claudius II, hmm. that's Claudius right before Aurelian, via Claudius's niece. This is likely later propaganda to up Constantius's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. family prestige. In reality, Constantius was most likely um, the same as Diocletian and Maximian, an excellent soldier of humble origins. He fought a lot. As one would imagine, he was highly respected officer under Aurelian during his Palmyrene campaign, being a member of the protectus Augusti nostri, uh, which was like the handpicked favorite officers. Under Carus, he had been made governor of Dalmatia. Around the time of Carinus and Diocletian civil war, he switched to Diocletian's side because he's smart. In 288 CE, his governorship ended, and he was appointed as Maximian's pra- Praetorian prefect. So he must be impressing. Mm-hmm. Constantius then crossed the Rhine and Danube multiple times on raiding raiding missions to hit the barbarians on their home turf. So clearly, Constantius and Maximian were close. This is proven by the fact that Constantius divorced his wife or concubine, it's not clear, Helena, who was the mother of his son, a, a boy called Constantine. Oh. They divorced so that Constantius could marry Maximian's daughter or stepdaughter, I've seen both, Theodora. Then in 293 CE, the unofficial became official, and Constantius was promoted to Caesar. Okay, already been the right hand man. Yeah. Now it's truly official. In. Yeah. Here's the interesting part. Um, Maximian has a son. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's unfortunate for the Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that next time.
1: <laughs> so Diocletian chose a man called Galerius, whose full name was Galerius Valerius Maximianus. Which is fun to say. Yeah. He was born in Serdica, right there near the Danube, because again, all of them. His family had fled from the frontier because they were tired of the constant raiding you'll be shocked to learn.
0: I can't imagine why. I can't either.
1: Galerius initially followed his father's trade of being a herdsman, but at some point joined the military where he served under Aurelian and Probus and then under Diocletian, clearly catching the emperor's attention. In 293, he was met to Diocletian's daughter, Valeria, who goes down in history as Galeria Valeria, which is also fun <laughs> to say. And boom, Galerius is made Caesar and assigned to the Illyrian provinces, which is like being put on bathroom cleanup duty in a rundown truck stop. Oh, well, that's that doesn't seem great. No, but, you know, you got to you got to earn your stripes, I suppose. Yes. I but you take because, I mean, you take what you can get when mm-hmm. you get offered Imperium. And thus was born what modern historians call the Tetrarchy, the rule of four. Sure. Two senior emperors, two junior Caesars. As Southern puts it, quote, the four men who ruled the empire were all Illyrians, and all of them had started their careers in the army. It was perhaps inevitable that Diocletian would choose men he knew either personally or by reputation from his own circle, which formed a limited pool of likely successors. His own position in the Rule of Four was as the undoubted senior partner. The empire was not divided up amongst the men, and there was still only one state government, but each man did operate in and exert his own authority over specific regions to achieve specific aims. Mm -hmm. According to Aurelius Victor, Constantius operated out of Trier, and oversaw Gaul beyond the Alps. I think Maximian was just tired of dealing with Caroussia, so (laughs) delegated the reconquest. Maximian got Italy and North Africa while operating out of Milan because he was lazy and didn't want to go to Rome. Galerius worked from Thessalonica and controlled Greece and the Danube provinces, while Diocletian returned to the east to rule from Nicomedia, where he oversaw Asia, Egypt, and the rest of the eastern provinces, i.e., the richest, most powerful provinces. Also, in 293 CE, Diocletian received an envoy. This party was sent from our old friends, the Persians. Oh, okay. Cool, Hazard cool. a guess what the Persians would send an envoy for at this time?
0: I feel. Man, I hope it's just being like, hey, can we just continue to not uh, be at war?
1: Kind of. Yeah, yes, Just like, kinda. hey,
0: here's, a, here's like a, a little gift.
1: Don't attack us. Thanks. Yeah, that's basically it. So in their usual diplomatic way, the envoys congratulated Diocletian on stabilizing the empire and his new Caesar appointments. Mm-hmm, well done. Mm-hmm, Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, we have had some administrative changes back in the Sassanid Empire. Hmm. Uh, we just wanted to let you know. Diocletian was probably aware of sure. what was going on in Persia. Yeah, a little, last, show good faith. Yeah, but uh, the men explained anyway. So King Varum II had died, and another man had come to the throne, but he had died. <laughs> quote, quote, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And now our glorious new leader is King Narses, seventh Sassanid king of kings, long may he reign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Diocletian thanked the men, and the two parties confirmed the agreement reached in 287. That peace in the region was paramount and everyone was content with the way things were with Tiridates controlling his portion of Armenia. Cool. Great. But, yeah. as the envoys left, Diocletian had a bad feeling. He had heard of Narses. Narses was a shrewd military man who was obviously very ambitious. As they all are. Yeah. And while the envoys had brought their customary gifts for the emperor... Narses was back in Persia, doing the equivalent of damnatio Memoriae on his immediate predecessors. Oh. (laughs) He was sick of these weak and ineffectual leaders who made the empire look bad. (sighs) Narses planned to return to the beginning of the Sassanid Mm -hmm. Empire and emulate Artisher and his son, our old friend Shapur. Cool. Time to spark another Persian war. Yeah, maybe not quite yet, but Diocletian knew he needed to keep an eye on that. Okay, so with their assigned roles handed out, the four men divided and went to rule their regions, and before they went, Diocletian sent a note to Maximian discreetly, which probably said, you have backup now, go deal with that affront to our rule that you've been allowing to exist for the last seven years. Maximian quickly delegated, and Constantius immediately began his preparations to retake Britain and northern Gaul from Carousius. Caecius was probably pissed. Mm-hmm, He's like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to be. You could have made me <laughs> Caesar. This would have been done, but no. Well, yeah,
0: you can't just take it, all right? That's the problem. You could you have asked a question.
1: Could have just been a really good soldier, <laughs> yeah, and helped Maximian. You might have been named mm-hmm. Caesar. Hmm. Now you're just a usurper written down in history. The same year he was elevated to Caesar, uh, Constantius cut off Caecius' access to the mainland by seizing an important harbor. After seven years of revolt slash independent rule, Crousius appears to have lost his credibility with the officers. Oh, well. Yeah. A man called Electus, who might have been Crousius' praetorian prefect, murdered his emperor and sure. claimed the purple for himself. God, what? Oh, my God. Dude. I know. You should have murdered him and then been like, hey, uh,
0: four emperors of Rome, I killed him for you. I did it. Can we fucking get back together now?
1: Can we reunite and not? Yeah. Have, no, I'm going to be greedy. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. So he murdered Crousius, uh, and then his rule became far less stable. Mm-hmm. Um, he had lost access to the mainland, so he couldn't link up with those Frankish allies that he was so tight with. This gave Constantius space to spend the next two years clearing Gaul of the Franks and the other traitors who were still showing loyalty to Electus. During these years of campaigning, Constantius also beat up some Alamanni while stabilizing Gaul. So he's doing it everything. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it appears that Galerius dipped off to Egypt to help put down a revolt before returning to the Danube region. All that I really have to say on that. It seems that these first few years of the Tetrarchy were left to the two junior men. I think Diocletian and Maximian were just enjoying a nice little break. And sure, that's uh, They had been fighting for almost a decade by this point. But around 296 CE, three years into the Tetrarchy, everyone started getting involved again. Two major things happened in or around 296. Since we have been in the West for a moment, let's wrap up what has been happening there. After successfully securing Gaul and destabilizing the British usurper's position, Constantius felt he was in a good position to invade the island. This was helped by the fact that Maximian was getting off his ass for the first time in three years to come take command of the Rhine frontier so that Constantius could leave. Because again, what happens when you pull an emperor off of a frontier? Yeah, Barbarians flood back. in. Yep. So, we'll have... Maximian hold the line, Constantius go deal with Britain. Two fleets had been assembled slash built over the last few years. Constantius would lead the first, and the second would be led by his praetorian prefect, Julius. As I practice this mm. one. Asclepiodatus. Asclepiodadus. Sure. Asclepiodatus's fleet landed near the Isle of Wight and soon found themselves facing off against Electus's main force. The fight was tough. But Asclepiodatus came out on top and Electus came out dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it kind of worked out. Meanwhile, Constantius was landing in Londinium, happy to see no resistance piling up against him. Mm-hmm. After nearly a decade of revolt, the British Isles were all but recovered. However, remember those Franks that Electus and Carousius had been buddies with? Yeah, yeah. Well, now they're trapped in Britain mm-hmm. without a paymaster. Mm-hmm. So what do barbarians slash mercenaries do when they don't get paid? I'll well, kill
0: people or leave
1: sack cities. Yeah. And what city do they think is the wealthiest in Britain?
0: Uh, London.
1: Yes. Okay. So they they waltz up like okay uh, we'll go sack uh, London and <laughs> dip out of here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this big forms Constantius. That just landed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently, Constantius had no qualms with slaughtering. Yeah. He them. was like, "That's fine. I'm just I'm gonna kill all of you." <laughs> yeah. They were completely caught off guard, and Constantius wiped them out. After this, he set about replacing Electus' men in government and the legions and setting up the new administration. A famous series of medallions and coins were issued nice. showing the goddess Britannia kneeling before Constantius, oh. who was riding up on a horse to save her from her oppressors. Wow. Yeah, big stuff. While there were likely many in Britain happy to see a return to the full Roman fold, there were probably many who were skeptical. After all, Carausius had been doing a really good job before his death and Electus hadn't been a complete idiot either. Still, the territory was captured and divided up into new administrative regions much like the rest of the empire which is something we'll talk about later. But basically, all the all the provinces have been subdivided mm. so that they're smaller. Back in the east, Galerius was returning from his campaign in Egypt to put down that minor revolt that I mm-hmm, mentioned mm-hmm. briefly. As he stepped off the boat, He was handed a letter. King Narses of Persia has invaded Armenia and removed Tiridates. Yeah. Of course. After some correspondence with Diocletian, it was decided that Galerius would lead a large force and push Narses back into his own territory. Diocletian, meanwhile, would remain on the Danube, where there was a carpi problem to deal with. So again, this is precisely why we have four emperors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you can go do that while I hold the front. Galerius marched out and soon found himself at the ancient Sart of Carhai. This is the place where, um, oh no, the triumvirate Crassus. There we go. Where Crassus got (laughs) slaughtered um, by the Parthians 300 years earlier. It was an absolute defeat and Galerius was forced to retreat with his tail between his legs. Oh no. It was not good. Sources claim Galerius was perhaps a bit too aggressive while lacking sufficient forces to win. They make the point, though, to state that he was not a fool or a coward. Mm -hmm. This wasn't a dumb play. It was just a bit overaggressive. Sometimes you just lose. But failure would not do for Diocletian. They simply could not afford to lose. There is a story that is most likely not true. That Diocletian went to where Galerius was and forced him to walk before Diocletian's carriage while wearing his imperial toga. This would have been a horrifically dishonorable yeah. thing for an emperor to be like put so low. Yeah, um, there are a few major reasons to believe that this didn't happen. That the most important is that Diocletian seems to have wanted, above all else, to show unity. Yeah, and stability. Yeah, and sure, back room, what the hell did you do, Galerius? Mm-hmm. But in public, what do you mean? That was just our first push. We're gonna go get him. Don't worry. But, you know, th- my boy Galerius got it. I believe that. Yeah, it. that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Diocletian probably did have a few choice words with him, but they weren't trying to hurt their own cause. Anyway, meanwhile, Maximian was campaigning in Mauritania, which is northwest Africa, likely fighting a handful of small skirmishes rather than any large battles. It's hard to, like, make sure everything is like, mm-hmm. so you know what's happening everywhere because there's a lot going on. But after reprimanding Gallienus and telling him to get back out there and do it right this time, Diocletian was then putting down another small usurper in Egypt. As we saw, Galerius had just been in Egypt putting down a revolt when the Sassanids had invaded. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty insecure over there. With the unrest still bubbling, the people finally snapped when some new taxes were implemented in Egypt. In brief, Diocletian called for a new form of census to determine how these taxes would be divvied up, which pissed the farmers off. The prefect of Egypt was murdered, and a man called Domitius Domitianus, also a cool name, declared himself emperor. But another man called Aurelius Achilles, also a cool name, was (laughs) the real power behind this revolt, and he called himself the corrector of Egypt. Oh, wow. That was, um, I believe Aurelian had been the, no, he was restitutor. But someone had called themselves the corrector of the east Um, Diocletian knew He could not allow this to grow out of control Because Mm -hmm, Egypt mm -hmm. And snagged some of the troops that Galerius was gathering On the Danube for his second Persian campaign Also the troops Maximian Was using in Mauritania Are believed to have been pulled off the Rhine frontier So the Rhine and Danube appear to be the most secure they've been In a very long time So well done Tetrarchy Diocletian landed in Egypt in 297 CE And set about retaking the province In short order, he captured the cities of Phaim and Thebaid. Next was the big target, Alexandria. Mm -hmm. This ancient city was well equipped to withstand siege, and Diocletian needed to station men around Egypt to keep the peace. So he was kind of short on men to prosecute the siege. And so it dragged on. No real fighting happening, just a grueling siege. After a while, the men and the emperor grew tired of waiting, so Diocletian ordered that the aqueducts be cut, denying the city water. Soon, the populace surrendered, and the slaughter began. Ugh. Eutropius tells us, quote, Diocletian used his victory, indeed cruelly, and distressed all Egypt with severe prescriptions and massacres. Yet, at the same time, he made many judicious arrangements and regulations, which continue to our own days. So, slaughter and rebuild is essentially what Diocletian went mm-hmm. with here, because mm-hmm. he was tired of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes... While researching, I find a big thing mentioned like this and want to dig a bit deeper and see where the author got that claim. In this case, Pat Southern mentions a tale from Alexandria. Sorry, I haven't told you the story. There's a thing I'm about to tell you that I'm not sure about. Okay. Not what I just read you. (laughs) I realize now that this is written kind of weird. So, Pat Southern tells us a tale from Alexandria that I'm going to share with you in a moment. However, when I looked at it, at her source, it said it was from Eutropius, so mm. I went to Eutropius, and he doesn't mention this story. Oh, okay. So, I had wow. to, like, <laughs> look a bit further. So, Wikipedia does not mention this tale either. So, I did one final, like, Google search, because I was like, I don't want to mention this if it's not real, but a snippet from John Malalas' Chronographia. John Malalas was apparently a Byzantine chronicle chronicler hundreds years later mm-hmm. who had this story. Quote, When Diocletian took Alexandria, he set it ablaze. He came into it mounted on his horse, which trotted about on the corpses. He ordered one of the officers not to desist from slaughter until the blood of the slain reached the knee of the horse upon which he sat. That's a lot of blood. It happened in accordance with this order that as Diocletian approached the gate, the horse upon which he was riding tripped over the corpse of a man and collapsing upon it had its knee covered in blood. Oh. And so the massacre was ended. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I like read that and went, well, I want to know where the source of that story is and see if it's even worth mentioning. The only reason I'm telling you is because I spent like a half hour trying to find where this came Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Alexandria gets a raw deal. Caracalla slaughtered them like 60 years earlier too. Yeah. Just not good. Well, maybe they need to stop revolting. They do need to stop revolting. (laughs) Okay. So after the slaughter at Alexandria diocletian spent some time traveling up and down the nile reorganizing the province and ensuring the census for the new taxes that had been that had sparked the revolt was pushed through alexandria also found itself stripped of much of its status as one of the top cities of the empire along with this the city lost its right to mint coins oh wow massive blow yeah Yeah. he was diocletian was not messing around with these revolts Mm -mm. anymore he's like i'm sick of this while Diocletian was getting Egypt sorted, Galerius had been rebuilding his forces in preparation for his second attempt at the Sassanids. Around 298 CE, Diocletian moved north into Syria to protect Galerius's southern flank as he pushed into Armenia and then Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, that's ours. Mm. Why are you there mm. again, Persia? We decided that. Galerius followed a similar strategy to Mark Antony, who, tried, who had tried to invade the east 300 years earlier while courting Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Anthony had failed, but Galerius could not fail. Diocletian had said so. Yeah, he said, no <laughs> you can't. It's I don't, not allowed. It's not an option." The campaign started off very well, and soon Galerius had won a major victory in the field against the Persians. Within months, Galerius and his legions were at the walls of Tessaphon. This was the proving grounds for Roman emperors. Our sources do not actually state that Galerius took Tessaphon, which is strange. Modern historians do believe he took the city, however. This is backed up by the sources claiming that Galerius managed to capture Narses' wife, his children, and his harem. Wow. Yeah. This was a major blow to the Persians, and it was clear that they could not win this war. Galerius then marched back along the Euphrates, loot and hostages in tow. He got back to Mesopotamia, where Diocletian was waiting for him with hugs and smiles this time. Diocletian really loved it when his people won. The two men took the title Persicus Maximus, but Diocletian had already taken this title for himself years earlier, so he just took it a second time. In fact, everyone got to be Persicus, You're Persicus right. Maximus. You're Persicus Maximus. You're so Persicus Maximus. They're all joint rulers. So all everyone joint shares rulers. the title. So. Yep, we share all the victories and kind of the defeats a little bit. Sure. An envoy was sent ahead of the official peace conference. As Diocletian was still on his way, Galerius met this man on his own. The envoy was a trusted member of Narsy's administration and was there to request the return of Narsy's wives and children. Well, let me be slightly more specific. Quote, I therefore do not even bring with me any conditions of peace since it is for the emperor to determine everything. I have only to pray on my master's behalf for the restoration of his wives and male children. Even now, my master cannot sufficiently thank you for the kind treatment which he hears you have vouchsafed them. Oh. So you can keep the girls. We'd, I'd really like my bitches and my sons back. Yeah, I guess. Is essentially what he said. Galerius heard the man who professed that Narciss had lost, obviously, because Galerius was so awesome. Um, but Narses had done more than any king since poor. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So maybe okay what so precisely what? galerius's <laughs> yeah, like, thought what, what's okay yeah um so galerius leaned in and said do you recall what Sharpur, father of narses did with our beloved emperor valerian oh boy i'm sure the envoy went a little pale yeah before saying i have heard foul untrue rumors (laughs) about the great valerian there you go (laughs) yeah galerius leaned in a little closer showing us that he is in fact not a good guy in this story and said i heard he was used as a footstool an elderly man before he died and had his skin hung up like an art gallery piece oh boy needless to say galerius sent the man packing without the wives or children male or female and awaited diocletian's arrival In 299 CE, Diocletian and Galerius met with the Persian in Nisibus to work out the peace treaty. An official treaty this time. No more vague agreements and white pieces. It was time for reparations, damn it. Mm -hmm. Galerius, high on his victories, pushed for the annexation of Persian territory, just like the good old days. We're conquering here. Uh, He was even prepared to scrap the peace talks and continue his campaign to get more land. But Diocletian was more reserved. And frankly, expansion was never good. No. It didn't work in the long term. You just need
0: more resources. You need more power to manage it. You need more people. Yeah. Cause more problems.
1: You'll remember Aurelian abandoned Dacia mm-hmm. two decades earlier because it was, the border was it's so just long. just too much, man. Yeah. So the final deal went like this. Rome gained control of some territory that allowed for freer movement and control of the eastern region. Parts of Mesopotamia were absorbed. Parts. Not the whole thing. Armenia would now be ruled entirely by Tiridates, and apparently this is not the same It's <laughs> just another one yeah a different so, that guy got overthrown and this one might be a relative apparently sure. i don't know the final piece of this deal was arguably the most important all trade coming in through the region would pass through nispus which was under roman control this meant big money yep. coming in through trade even if that trade would Wasn't end its journey rome. outside yeah. of rome yeah Following the successful campaigns in the east, Diocletian settled down in Antioch to oversee the region. Galerius had some wild celebrations in Antioch as well, a well-earned reward for a brilliant military campaign. While in Antioch, the two rulers also took part in a ritual sacrifice to see the future through the entrails of slaughtered cattle. As one does. Yeah, 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 for sure. As the story goes, the soothsayers were unable to read the guts of the sacrificed animals and grew frustrated. Lactantius, a Christian apologist who lived through this time, wrote about this episode and what followed, quote, certain of Diocletian's attendants who knew the Lord and were present at the sacrifice had placed the immortal sign on their foreheads. At this, the demons were put to flight and the rites thrown into confusion. (laughs) But the slaughter of victim after victim still revealed nothing. And finally... The chief religious figure, whether through suspicion or on the evidence of his own eyes, said that it was the fault of profane persons who were present. Oh, boy. Diocletian was furious at this, according to the Christian Lactantius. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He flew into a rage and called for everyone in the palace, not just those at the ceremony, would be performing sacrifice at that moment or be punished with whipping. (laughs) Yep. On top of this, he sent word out to all the legions with the command, all soldiers, quote, should be compelled to perform the abominable sacrifices and that any who disobeyed should be discharged from service. That's like Tantus's quote. So basically, sacrifice or you're out of the army mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. now. So Christians piss off. This was a major escalation out of nowhere. And it may have felt like that to many Christians at the time as well. What this episode tells me is that Diocletian had many Christians working in the palace and serving in the military. Mm -hmm. And up to this point had been like, that's fine, whatever. Remember, we are still in the little piece of the church since Gallienus had risen up and ended his father's uh, persecutions. Mm -hmm. That's not going to last for long. No, it doesn't sound like it. I do not know what the overall outcome of this order was, because there aren't any records, uh, who was whipped, who was discharged, but obviously, this escalated. Anyway, about a year after the Persian campaign, and the massacre in Alexandria, between 301 and 302 CE, Diocletian visited Egypt once again. Apparently, he was there inspecting things and setting up a new grain dole, which is very nice of him. Here's some free grain. Mm -hmm. But soon into his trip, he started getting some troubling reports. See, there was a sect called Manichaeism that was growing within the region. I might be pronouncing that wrong. But this group openly rejected the Greco-Roman pantheon in favor of their own dualist ideas. What was worse, this group originated four decades earlier in Persia. Nice. But they were kind of forced out of the region because of the same beliefs. Sir, sure. So here we have these foreigners professing some heretical religion that spit on everything Diocletian stood for as an absolute divine monarch. Gotta die, I guess. Well, I was just about to ask, how do you think (laughs) he handled that? (laughs) Gotta die, I guess. guess Yes, Gotta die. Here's the cool thing. We have the rescript. The official order. We have it. We know what it says. That's cool. So I'm going to read most of it because it's not that long Mm -hmm. and it's telling and it's kind of scary. So this is known today as the Manichean Rescript, and it goes like this, quote, Excessive leisure sometimes provokes ill-suited people to cross natural limits and encourages them to introduce false and outrageous forms of superstitious doctrine so that many others are persuaded to recognize the authority of their mistaken beliefs. No new belief should criticize the religion of old. It is highly criminal to discuss doctrines established and defined by our ancestors. For this reason, we are absolutely determined to punish the stubborn madness of these worthless people. Wow. They recently have advanced or emerged from their native homes in Persia, an enemy of ours, like strange and monstrous portents, and have settled in this part of the world where they commit many evil acts, upsetting the peace of the people and seriously damaging towns. As their religion demonstrates that what our laws see as their crimes are born of a wild and false imagination, we have set deserved and suitable penalties for these people. That's some like
0: World War Two shit. Well, that's just standard like genocidal thought. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just crazy to see it written so so sure. like openly. Well, I mean, yeah.
0: It, until more modern times that. Our, it's an us and them group man
1: yeah <laughs> what we believe is just better than what you believe so we have to kill you Correct. for it. why are you questioning what i believe yeah right so what do you think the punishments for quote these people should be or death yeah but how Ooh,
0: i don't know man brutally brutally I mean, yeah, for sure yeah for not sure just like not just killed but okay maybe burned alive i don't oh, know good yeah mm-hmm. uh, oh did they do crucifixions yet was, that, Long was ago, that on the thing? Jesus was
1: 300 years ago, man. Yeah, okay. Well, that too. Might as well throw yeah. them out. Good. So we, which means Diocletian and Maximian, because <laughs> this is being <laughs> written to the, the proconsul of Africa. We command that the authors and leaders of these sects, receive severe punishment and be burnt in the flames with their detestable books. So we got
0: book burning too. Well oh that's efficient.
1: You can use the books to make the fire Fire, to burn the people. Yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. okay oh this is dark (laughs) (laughs) we order that if they prove defiant, their followers suffer capital punishment and their possessions pass to the Imperial Treasury. So proscriptions we're taking it all. Yeah. If those people who have crossed to that unknown outrageous and disreputable belief mm-hmm, are in mm-hmm. public office or are of any rank or higher social status you must confiscate their estate and send the offenders to the quarry or to mm-hmm. the mines dang just in rough
0: indentured
1: servitude you go from being like a high-ranking uh, government official mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. your work in the mines the, like, today slave labor yes in your devotion this rescript is the emperor oh right so in your devotion Mm proconsul of Africa, hurry to execute our commands and our orders so that this iniquitous iniquitous disease Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. completely cleansed from our most happy age. That's right. Dear Lord. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so this wasn't good. This was really bad for the Manichians, and they were... I don't have info of what actually happened, like how many people or what. I imagine it wasn't good. That was pretty, there was no, you know, deal with them. Yeah. It was, it was very direct. Burn them or take yep. all their stuff. Very deliberate. Well, and both, you know, both. Both. Do <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You're right. Um, so Galerius and Diocletian spent the winter of 302 in Nicomedia, apparently arguing intensely about the policy related to the Manichaeans and the Christians. They were debating Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. should be done. According to Lactantius. Diocletian felt his policies for the Christians, i.e. the whipping and removal from the army, was sufficient because they weren't causing a huge problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The Manichians were openly hostile to the Roman pantheon. Like they actively said, no, we won't. We don't believe that at all. And we will not. And you're wrong. Christians probably did too, but less loudly. But apparently Galerius was a big proponent of pushing harder to stamp down on the disease he saw growing in the empire. You guys can't see me do air quotes when I say disease, but that's what I was doing. Something in the ballpark of 10% of the population of the empire was Christian by this point. Okay. So a a a large minority. After the winter, perhaps with a new plan in place, Galerius headed back west to Thessalonica the danube was in the best shape we've seen in a long time but he did wind up campaigning there for a little bit a couple years meanwhile constantius was also fighting the franks along the rhine because what else are you gonna do almost nothing is known about that campaign but it would appear he was successful um, and he got the Germanicus and Sarmaticus titles. By three hundred three CE, it would appear that the empire was as peaceful as it had been in decades. Hmm. Now we were in the crisis of the third century. Yeah, you may yeah. notice we are now in the fourth century. Mm-hmm. And speaking, by the way, of decades, it has now been two decades since Diocletian had assumed power. Wild! And you know what that means? It's time yeah, to party. Celebrate. Woo! Let's go. The two emperors traveled from their respective areas and met up for the first time in twelve years. Wow. Maximian and Diocletian have not seen each other in twelve years. I think it says something about the stability of the Tetrarchy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they didn't need to come together. That they was like, this is working. It was
0: like, yes, we all have our best interests at heart. We just want Rome to
1: be good and prosperous and stable. Yep. You you're handling the That's West, it. we're handling <laughs> the East. It's working out great. So where do you think this 20-year celebration or Venesalia took place? Traditionally, it would be Rome, but it's not. Wrong. It is Rome. Oh, actually? At long last, wow. Diocletian is headed to Rome. Um, this being the first time at least that Diocletian has been in the city in over a decade. Yeah, He okay. may have dipped in once. We don't know. Maximian was probably there from time to time since he was ruling from Mm -hmm. that area. We know a little about the celebrations, like most things. Um, We know a bit from the coins, uh, which Southern points out called on the people of Rome to rejoice with a strongly implied or else in the subtext. Mm -hmm. Uh, The people of Rome and especially the Senate uh, likely felt vindicated in some way, hoping this meant a return to the prestige of the eternal city. Yay, the emperors are here. If the Caesars made the journey to the capital at this time, it is not recorded. Um, It's possible they were there because this would have been around their 10-year anniversary as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also possible that they were left near the borders for obvious reasons. But it was not all fun and games in Rome. Diocletian thought this would be an excellent time to talk to his number two about the state of the empire and his thoughts on the future. Just like back in 291, they had spent a good bit of time discussing their experiences and their plans moving forward. Mm -hmm. As Maximian met his old friend for their first talk in so long, he could not help but notice how slim the man looked. Diocletian then coughed a little bit. Getting sickly out here. Just looked not good. Not good. Regardless, it is likely that this was the time where Diocletian revealed to Maximian his next big move for the imperial (laughs) office. (laughs) I'm gonna die. (laughs) Okay. After hearing the plan, Maximian is said to have sworn at a ceremony in the Temple of Jupiter. I typed Jupiter. Mm. That he would hold uphold Diocletian's decision, even if his heart was not truly in it. I'm gonna now give you one guess at what his next big move is. That's so vague.
0: What? Yes, it is. <laughs> what deliberately so. What's his next big move? Yeah. Max Keebler's big move even if his heart isn't in it uh he's now gonna just start heavily persecuting Christians
1: as well so I'm gonna say yes and that's not his next big move oh okay okay okay. That's we'll leave it it. there (laughs) it's just a thing (laughs) right, so we'll see soon what happens but for now 303 CE Diocletian wanted one thing above all else to get the hell out of Rome According to Edward Gibbon, the people of Rome did not show him the proper deference and treated him with licentious familiarity. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we have seen as early as Nero, way mm-hmm. back when, mm-hmm. the Easterners of the empire were far more willing to accept the idea of a living God. Sure. The emperor is divine in life. The West, they just, that wasn't, they didn't get that. He's, he, you're the top dog for mm-hmm. sure, but you're mm-hmm. a guy. You're mm-hmm. a man. In the east where Diocletian's been, he was so happy because they all just like praised him. And then these guys wanted to talk to him. How dare they? Yeah. So he dipped. We're talking a week. He was in Rome and he's like, I'm out of here. All right. That was cool. Good enough. Goodbye. Yeah. So he dipped and uh, he would spend um, he'd spent the end of 303 traveling to Ravenna before heading back to the Danube to fight alongside Galerius against the Carpi while on this campaign diocletian appears to have contracted some kind of illness if Mm -hmm. he wasn't already Mm -hmm. unwell this is where he got sick either that or whatever was bothering him back in rome got worse either way it did not look good Mm -hmm. rumors abounded that the emperor was dying or already dead Mm. after resting near the front for some time diocletian began his slow trudge back out to the east he was so unwell that he was hauled around in a litter rather than on his horse. Never a good sign. No. It took a great deal of time to get all the way back to Nicomedia, and while he went, Maximian was hustling out of Rome to meet up with Galerius. Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is unknown what Maximian wanted to discuss with Diocletian Caesar, but one can only guess that it was what they should do if he died. Like it. okay, so like, what's the next step? Dude, yeah. sick. Uh. Maximian was a bit sweaty about the whole discussion discussion rambling on about some plan of Diocletians I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, the next big move. the next big move. <laughs> but Galerius, we are told, became very angry during this meeting. Oh, it is possible that the discussion was about who would become the next Augustus. Oh yeah. and I'll bet Maximian was pushing for his son-in-law, Constantius. To fill the gap. But Constantius does not appear to have been at this meeting, either because he was not able to come or because he was not invited. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We also do not know if Maximian revealed Diocletian's next big move to Galerius, although Lactantius certainly believes he did. Mm -hmm. Remember, Lactantius is a Christian apologist. Mm -hmm. But now it is time we look at what Diocletian is perhaps best known for today. And no, this is not the super secret plan. It's what you called out before. Oh, mass Christian persecution? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. As we have seen, Diocletian has Ugh. taken religious matters very seriously, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as most emperors did. He was a conservative traditionalist who wanted to return to the old days of the Pantheon being the main focus. Sure, other gods can join. It's a Pantheon. But enough of these groups claiming one god or one belief was above all others. Mm-hmm. Crazy how times change, huh? Yeah. <laughs> As I'm sure you can guess, Diocletian and the Tetrarchy turned their attention toward the Christians, and in 303 CE, the government would officially resume its persecutions of this most troublesome religious group. A quote from Eusebius of Cesara, born in 260 CE, who lived through this time. Quote, It is beyond my ability to describe in a suitable manner the extent and nature of the glory and liberty with which the word of piety toward the God of the universe, proclaimed to the world through Christ, was honored among all men, both Greeks and barbarians, before the persecution of my time. So everyone was happy. The little piece of the church was great. So many of us were Christians. Glory be to God. Oh, shit.
0: Things are going so well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We have snippets and whispers of issues with the Christians periodically through the Mm -hmm. Tetrarch years. In 295, there had been a man who was reprimanded by the proconsul of Africa. Remember, there were lots of issues in Africa way back when in uh, Gallienus' time. This man was refusing to enlist in the army. And in 298, when a centurion refused to take part in a religious celebration for Maximian. So these little, yeah. like, I won't because I am Christian. Mm-hmm. It can be assumed that Diocletian and Maximian expected sacrifices made to them personally as living gods, right. which would have been really way worse it. than even the normal sacrifices. Yeah. Because like, oh, yeah, sure, a fake god, whatever, but you're a man. I can't worship you. Um, as we have seen, the Christians were an odd bunch in the minds of the average Roman, mm-hmm. they did not have the same shared pantheon and their practices were so foreign. But here was a prime example of the real concern the state was having with this group. They are interfering with the military. They won't, li- they won't join mm-hmm. up. And when they are given certain orders, they won't follow them. Yeah. That's unacceptable. One might argue that if the Christians do not want to fight and sacrifice to the emperors, do not force them into the military. That could be one way to get around. good enough. Exactly. (laughs) Well, because what would the domino effect be? Oh, I can't join the military. My Mm -hmm. patron saint is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. XYZ God. That's right. Can't set this precedent. Right. So being in the military was a tough job and recruitment was hard enough. Now you cut 10% of the population from service. Not going to happen. And we all know the Christians are hellbent, pun intended, on converting everyone in the world, which is kind of a fair point. Christians have a tendency to spread their message. That's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. It does appear there was some attempt to include Christians more, and their God was included in the military oath. But the Christians did not want their God included. Included, Their God was the only God. So again, some may have tried to make this work, but Christians by their very nature can't do that. Mm -hmm. A quote from Southern Christians, unfortunately, could not tolerate gods other than their own, and their missionary spirit meant that they were not content to live quietly in the background without drawing attention to themselves. A conflict was inevitable, which is unfortunate. Gloves were off in 303, though. The sources of this time do not paint Diocletian as the ringleader of what came next. Instead, the blame lands on the shoulders of Galerius, Mm. who was apparently giddy. (laughs) With the idea of eradicating the Christians. Oh, boy. Now, Lactantius tells us that Diocletian sought counsel from his advisors on what to do with the Christians. But the advisors were all too afraid of Galerius to speak their minds. So they advocated for persecution. On February 23rd, 303 CE, the violence began. As Lactantius describes it, quote, A suitable and auspicious day was sought for carrying the business out, and the festival of Terminalia was chosen so that a termination, so Mm -hmm, to speak, mm -hmm. could be imposed (laughs) on this religion. The Praetorian prefect marched some troops to the main church of Nicomedia, Diocletian's capital. They forced their way in and rounded up the scriptures, setting them alight and looting everything they could. Panic and confusion reigned for the people in and around the church. Obviously, they had no idea this was coming. This church was apparently visible from the Imperial Palace, where Diocletian, still quite ill, and Galerius watched and argued. They disagreed about whether the church should be burned to the ground or not. Mm. Diocletian apparently argued, sensibly, that lighting a large building on fire would likely burn down a huge chunk of the city. Not safe. It's (laughs) not a good idea to burn large buildings, or any buildings, frankly. A compromise was reached, and soon the Praetorians had the building surrounded, all of them holding hammers and axes. Okay. (laughs) Within hours, (laughs) the building was manually demolished, leaving not a trace. Okay. Yeah. The following day, the official edict was issued. Those poor bastards in the church didn't know they were being persecuted, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but now it was official. This edict called for the destruction of all churches in the empire. Anything sacred to the Christians was to be destroyed Christians with any Official office in the government were to Be removed this extended To social ranks as well Wild yeah. When the edict was pinned up In one city a man tore it down in a Fury he was then roasted To death becoming one of the first Martyrs of what would go down in History as The great persecution Mm. So I think I mentioned this later, but I'll just say it now. A lot of the time when people think of Romans persecuting Christians, they go, oh, yeah, Nero, that guy. Mm -hmm. And it's like Nero may have killed a few, like a handful of Christians. Yeah, it wasn't a like empire wide official like genocide move. Mm -hmm. It's like 200 years after Nero Mm -hmm. when the cult (laughs) has become not a cult. They're a religion. And oh, God. Yeah. So it's funny how timelines get warped like that. Mm hmm. So a few months later, a second edict was passed calling for the arrest of all clergymen. A third followed that stated clergymen could either offer sacrifice to the gods and gain amnesty or be tortured. Oh, cool. What a, what a deal. It's a simple choice. The fourth edict, like Decius's many before, I don't know if you remember, he was one of the guys right before, uh, Gallienus. He's the first one that had a, Hey, we need a sacrifice from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But wasn't directed at the Christians. Um, So this is the the fourth edict called for everyone in the empire to make sacrifices to the emperor or else. Eusebius gives a graphic account of what he saw in Palestine and Egypt when um, this kicked off. Quote, I observed large crowds of victims in a single day. Some suffered decapitation. Others were tortured by fire. So many were killed that the murderous axe was blunted and having been weakened, broke into pieces. While the very executioners grew weary and relieved each other. So there's so much murder (laughs) that they're getting tired, man. (laughs) Tools are breaking and we're getting tired. Yeah, it's not good. But apparently many Christians accepted their fate and embraced Mm -hmm. martyrdom. Yeah. Confessing to their beliefs and heading to the chopping block. Eusebius is obviously not an unbiased source, but we have seen unimaginable cruelty in our world. So I can totally believe that this happened Mm -hmm. and it was very extreme. It is important to note, however, that issuing an edict did not mean that that edict was enforced evenly. As is often the case, hate toward the Christians was varied and usually localized to a region. Sure, the Eastern emperors and officials were fairly eager to get on with the slaughter, but many in the West had a different view of Christianity. Either the Christians were too small of a minority to be worried about mm-hmm. or they were well integrated into their community yeah. and didn't bother anybody
0: it's like, it's What they don't do anything right mm-hmm. they're just there's just people here
1: they're just, I, I work with them it's mm-hmm. fine maximian and constantius in the west appear to have enforced the first edict a little bit and from there on just kind of sort of ignored yeah, the rest
0: yeah like, no we're, it's, we're doing yeah. it yeah
1: yeah <laughs> the christian sources claim constantius did not harm a single christian but they were probably adding to his son Constantine's prestige. Mm-hmm. Maximian did a bit more persecuting in North Africa, as we saw mm-hmm. the Christians were not well liked there. Um, but there was a large population of Christians in North Africa, like very large. As the horrors commenced, many Christians in this region began to ask what should be done with those Christians who gave in and handed over their scriptures to save their own skins. Cowards. This argument split the church. Mm. As some wanted to brand these people as traitors, while others were like what would Jesus do? Would you would you turn your back on someone who's scared for their life? Both make perfect sense, but soon the Church of Carthage would be born, and we have our first one of our first schisms in the Christian church. Ah, and oh boy, you just get ready to hear about some schisms and church doctrine uh, for the rest of this
0: show. Uh, it's the rest of history, yes, How about that?
1: yes, to today. <laughs> I think we are now in what will become the end of religion as it's been for like the last 1500 Mm. years i think people are getting less and less and this will be the big turning point of christianity not being the thing in current history yes today yeah yeah. i think so and this is the beginning of the 1500 years of christianity Yeah, i think
0: we're moving back into accepting all religions as just a yeah man believe what you want to believe whatever just don't bother me
1: yeah yeah (laughs) and then less and less people are signing up Mm -hmm. for it Mm -hmm. Yep. I've been reading um, Christianity in the later Roman Empire to kind of get all this stuff um, around this by David Gwynn. Super good source book. And it's almost all quotes Mm -hmm. from like uh, primary sources. I love it. So quote from this. The exact scale of human suffering inflicted by the great persecution is very difficult to assess. The imperial government was out to subdue rather than kill. So imprisonment and torture were the preferred weapons rather than execution. And the greatest impact was psychological rather than physical.
0: Yeah.
1: It only takes one person getting burned for saying, I'm a Christian for a bunch of Christians to go, Mm -hmm. okay. So all that's going on back to Diocletian. The year is now 304 CE. The persecutions in full swing and Diocletian is very, very unwell. Mm -hmm. On November 20th, he took part in a ceremony to open a circus near his palace and collapsed shortly after. Yeah. Diocletian retreated to his palace and spent the winter months out of public view. Rumors abounded that the evil Galerius had murdered Diocletian. <laughs> but surely that was lies. Surely. Well, I mean, dude's been sick for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then Diocletian died. hmm mm-hmm. At least that's what was said. A oh. rumor circulated around the empire that Diocletian had committed suicide in December of 304. The public went into mourning, outwardly expressing their grief. But an official statement went around that Diocletian was simply ill, but still very much alive. Well, (laughs) it was not until three months later in March that an emaciated Diocletian appeared in public once again. Hearing of how ill the head Augustus was, Galerius made his way to the city. Mm -hmm. According to Lactantius, Galerius was there for far more nefarious aims in early may 305 ce diocletian called an assembly of all those ranking members of the legions around the empire once they arrived they met on the same hill where diocletian had been named emperor 22 years before wow he stood before a statue of jupiter who was his patron mm-hmm, deity mm-hmm. and announced his final great plan oh, to the men nice after so long in power and feeling the effects of age and illness, Diocletian said he was no longer strong enough to carry on as emperor. Mm -hmm. He had grown wary of rule and wished to retire in peace. Dude, you should have done this a while ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Diocletian announced that Maximian would be joining him in his retirement and that the tetrarchy would continue with Galerius and Constantius as joint Augusti and the two would appoint their new Caesars to okay. carry on the Tetrarchy yeah, in perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah. The old man had tears in his eyes as the officers and officials cheered for their great emperor, the first to voluntarily step down. Wild. Although there is some speculation that this was not so voluntary, it is also hotly debated whether this abdication was part of Diocletian's master plan or if he was bullied by Galerius. I, I vote for the the prior. I yeah. Think it was his plan.
0: Yeah, he's like, I'm old and sick, and
1: we need to continue stability. Yep, I, I built this up. Now, if I step down, mm-hmm. everything will be good. Either way, we will now leave the Tetrarchy and pick up there next time. For now, let's look at the rest of Diocletian's life. So he retired so like three days later. He died. He just nope. died. <laughs> Not at all. Went to sleep and didn't wake up. Nope. He retired to Dalmatia, where he was from, and set up in his massive palace that he had built for himself. Sure. Apparently, this palace is mostly still intact to this day. Huh. That's cool. So I need to go there. Yeah. Uh, Maximian retired to a city within easy reach of Diocletian, and the two remained in contact. Maximian was far less happy with this abdication yeah, than his senior colleague. Still cult. doing good, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we will see next time that he does attempt to get back. Yeah. yeah. And don't forget he has a son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I will save the rest for next time. But let's just say uh, things do not go well with the Tetrarchy.
0: That's Uh, so unfortunate. Yeah. It's a good, it was a good governing
1: process. It was. That was set up. Yep. Well, and it went so bad that there was a point shortly after that people were begging Diocletian to just come back. It's like, please. (laughs) Just please come (laughs) back and and settle it. This is one of the famous quotes from Diocletian. He replied, apparently, quote, if you could show the cabbages that I planted with my own hands to your emperor, he definitely wouldn't dare suggest that I replace the peace and happiness of this place with the storms of a never satisfied greed. Mm -hmm. Basically, dude, I grow cabbages now. He's like, man, no, okay, I'm gonna <laughs> peacefully die. I am not going back to that chaos. I'm not chaos. doing it. I'm not doing it. So Diocletian's often jokingly referred to as the Cabbage Emperor because of that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then Diocletian My died. <laughs> My cabbage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so Diocletian you know, you know. died for real this
0: time. What do you think? Not a tragedy. No. Which which is great uh, a good refresher uh you know, little a little bit of genocide so that's tragic
1: <laughs> uh, it it is that like diocletian's death is not a happy one i'll say that yeah but um yeah a little less tragic than oh you're doing
0: really well stab Ugh. right yeah he actually we saw some of the fruits of his labors and then a retirement before it all fell apart again because People are people, yeah, and they're people like,
1: are, No, no, people. no, I want all the power, right? Departing demise, so there's not much to go on without spoiling things for next time. Um, because he he lives well, his predecessor, mm-hmm, or his mm-hmm. uh, successors go on. Let's just say that, um, the Tetrarchy fell apart, mm-hmm. Diocletian saw his friends and family suffer, and all the hard work he had put in basically like, ruined, yeah, I just fall away before he died, yeah. Um, There are some sources that claim he became so depressed and dejected that he finally took his own life. His daughter is treated very badly.
0: Oh, that's unfortunate.
1: And he is powerless to do anything about it. Oh, And, yeah. By, you know, by Golaris. So, not good. So, the alternative is that he was old and ill and he died. So, nothing super exciting. I don't even have my my list up. But it was December 3rd, 311 CE. He was around 69 years old. Nice. (laughs) So... Yeah, I think this is one of the, this is where he'll probably score the least. Yeah, more, more just like
0: sad in the whole of him watching all of his work go to, uh, just just ruin. Yeah. But not, I guess the demise part isn't super interesting.
1: Yeah, I would say two or three.
0: Yeah, I'll go. I'll give him a three. Okay. Because he made a cabbage quote.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My cabbage. (laughs) Love it. Okay, so I'll go three as well. So that's a six for departing demise mastery of military might he rose through the ranks as a soldier became the head of the emperor's uh, cavalry detachment so he must Mm -hmm. have been doing well he fought basically his entire life even serving under Aurelian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he led or oversaw dozens of campaigns in his reign uh delegated delegated his fellow emperors well claiming victories across the empire helped in the defeat of many barbarians and the persians Um, His delegation served the dual purpose of lightening the load and preventing generals from rising up, so he didn't have to deal with quite as many revolts. We get no stories of him being some military genius like Aurelian, but he was successful. Mm -hmm. He also almost lost his civil war against Carinus, but treachery won him the day there. Um, And then his defensive rework of the Empire, which we didn't cover much, um, helped secure the borders significantly. We have the Rhine and the Danube frontier clear enough that emperors can walk away from it and not expect yeah, problems.
0: Right. Not be like immediately.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm torn um, because the one that I always go back to is uh, oh no, what's his name? Vespasian. Mm-hmm. We gave him a, a perfect score mm-hmm, for this, mm-hmm. and honestly, that that'll be one that when we kind of recap, I'm probably gonna change because I don't think that's fair. He didn't do nearly as much. Does this warrant a perfect score? 20 you know 40 years of fighting 20 as emperor fighting everywhere
0: um i was thinking i'm going between a nine and a 10 just because he doesn't have a great like there's no reputation of him being an individual like super good soldier
1: right i yeah i could go for a nine yeah
0: that's the only thing is like a 10 could be he was he was a good leader was successful and then also known to be like a good individual warrior
1: yep and uh, frankly one of the best skills of a leader is delegation
0: Mm -hmm. so
1: i'll give him a nine what do you think
0: yeah i'll go with nine
1: all right so that's an 18 for mastery of military might not bad terrible
0: tyranny yeah he's gonna
1: get some scores here oh i think he will (laughs) i think he will (laughs) uh so whatever we decided um what we decided is that it the Carus Numerian Aper situation was a series of slightly calculated events mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. We're, we've decided that while Diocletian definitely played his hand he wasn't the mastermind he wasn't the evil guy
0: yeah I don't think it was all super knifing and set up
1: right so beyond that he was ruthless against those who stood against him mm-hmm. uh, he massacred those who revolted in Egypt then went back and the Manichians got destroyed mm-hmm Um, He also converted the imperial office from being the first among equals to absolute monarchy. Mm. Tyranny, you know, essentially. In fairness, this is just kind of the logical conclusion of where the last century has led, where emperors needed to be viewed. Yeah, so it wasn't an overthrow and like a, I can be emperor. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, no, 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 no random guy can. Mm -hmm. I'm emperor, right? Divine,
0: divinely chosen.
1: Um, Almost every emperor since Severus had pushed himself as kind of like a little bit more divine, a little bit more absolute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, again, the Manichian rescript, brutal, and then the great persecution. Mm -hmm. You've got Mm -hmm. the historical thing called great. Yeah. But it's very bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, we don't know the efficacy, really. We know people were killed. A lot were arrested. Um, We made... Many martyrs were created. Yeah, and you have the
0: official rule like the decree we have that yeah of the Manichaeans yeah not the
1: not the christians one but but yeah so it was pretty jarring reading like them being so blatantly like yeah yeah. these people are monsters Mm -hmm. they're bad Mm -hmm. and you should kill them yeah horrifying it's gotta be really high
0: it is it's (laughs) It's gonna be high (laughs) yeah um it's hard i mean 10, it's really yeah it's hard to not give him a 10 he,
1: he did so much good but we'll cover that in lives of the living yeah, the only
0: the only thing the only thing that would be a nine instead of a 10 is like he didn't just walk through the streets personally uh just murdering people he just told other people to do yeah it. yeah <laughs> but, right but i mean delegation you know, it's like he, you know. <laughs> he wasn't a psychopath he was just ruthless yeah so like, know, and then there's the, the division
1: there. And this might be a rewrite of history a bit, but a lot of the blame is put on Galerius for this.
0: Oh, cause it, he was, he the was one very, pushing. he was very ready and willing to be really uh, happy. Almost to just skinny. carry
1: that out and be like, Oh yeah, I hate those guys. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm willing to give Diocletian a perfect score here because you can't oversee two massive genocide or attempts at genocide without, I don't know. I'm
0: going to give him a nine solely because of what I said, not being like a blatant individual, carnage-loving psychopath. Right. He was just, no, this is what needs to happen. We're going to do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, so that's a 19 for Mm -hmm, terrible mm -hmm. tyranny, which is crazy for someone who's like saving the Empire. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Lives of the living. So here's where he can... Mm -hmm. Continue to go up. I think so. I think so. rose Diocletian is the longest reigning emperor since
0: <laughs> the dude that was there for 15 years or whatever it was. I don't remember Marcus name. Aurelius. There you go. That's a oh,
1: wow. That's a wow. Yeah, um, 22 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, major advantage of this longevity is that his reforms had time to be implemented, mm-hmm. tested, and reworked. Yeah. Until they were strong enough to do their jobs. Much of what Aurelian and Probus had accomplished was short lived because they died. mm-hmm, mm-hmm a quote from Chris Scar the one of my, that my textbook that i read diocletian or excuse me diocletian reorganized the provincial structure of the empire creating a system of smaller provinces grouped into 12 larger administrative units called dioceses Oh, which you have certainly heard of. it becomes a Christian thing. Yeah, it sure does. Which is interesting, strange how it works out when the emperor
0: becomes a Roman or Roman uh, Catholic.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, At the same time, civil and military powers were separated, so the governors and provinces of dioceses had no military authority. So this is a massive change to the way the government is run, Mm -hmm. Um, and arguably a very good reorganization and. Clearly, it lasts because eventually dioceses become a unit for the church. Mm -hmm. Along with this, Diocletian strengthened the defenses of the forts along the frontiers, Mm -hmm. added new fortifications to many cities, and continued Aurelian's work of defending the empire. We are on the defensive now, and we must be ready. Civil and military posts were separated, as I said, which means you've got people focusing on the civil stuff Mm -hmm. and not worrying about the military. Before it was your governor, you, you do it, it all. all. Yeah, which also leads to men being able to go. Oh, I'm in charge of civil and yeah. military. Emperor. That's right. More power me. Yep. Um, he also issued the Edict on Maximum Prices, which I would have gone into more, but we've talked about a lot. So um, what this was was an attempt to quash the significant, rampant inflation that's been going on for a hundred years. The idea was. This is the most you can charge for something. Mm. That doesn't work. If, if you know anything about economics, that doesn't no, actually not. work, but they didn't know that. Right. So this was his attempt. I would say that this is a net neutral because it did not work, but sure. he tried. Um, and then the big one, Diocletian's reign is considered by most to be the end of the crisis. We're done. Okay. This is... You could argue that it continues until Constantine, but most people call those the Tetrarchic Wars. Okay,
0: so this sure. is the Tetrarchy, so just like a new, just like a new civil war era. And not very brief, though. Yeah, but yeah. not the crisis.
1: We had the Tetrarchy for twenty years, which was super stable, mm-hmm. and then we had the Tetrarchic Wars. Which is fair, if
0: because I don't know history, if we don't see a bunch of subsequent invasions on the borders to not be in the crisis anymore. That would make sense.
1: Yeah, I will say um, there's always invasions. There's always a (laughs) temper. I'm saying like, if there isn't, if it's not the
0: concern, they're always there. They're going to happen. But if it's not the thing, like, oh, we are only fighting our borders. We're in disarray. We need to, we're losing emperors left and right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Nope. Uh, This is definitely where stability... Mm-hmm. truly creeps in yeah it won't be the best because no the west is still falling but yeah. it's way better than it's been for the last 80 years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cons uh i ended up not being too good for those who were not your standard greco-roman pantheon worshiper yeah yeah the Christians, it is said, had it pretty good for the majority of Diocletian's reign until the end. <laughs> until and then <laughs> so yeah, if you were a M- Manichaean or a Christian at the end, mm-hmm. wasn't very good. Oh, I'm man. sitting at like I'm I am i am really sitting
0: at like a like an 8. I was thinking 8 or 9. Yeah, just I mean, stability st- after so it's long st- Jordan Jordan, stability we have a, this is list just of huge emperors I
1: know is so long. Yeah. And they all could not properly provide stability. Yeah, and he, and he did. Yeah, I'm gonna give him an eight.
0: I'm gonna give him an eight because the stability. He, the only reason he's losing points is because of the drastic measures on certain people groups.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go with nine because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But he also got points on terrible tyranny for that. Sure. So I'll do that. So that is they a overlap seven. sometimes. You know. Yeah. And
0: right. it, it's very curious. A thought that went through my head is if he was like ill and like really looking at his mortality mor- uh, mortality if he thought mm, the gods are displeased oh. so that was could have been part of the heavy persecution Yep, got to make it right but yeah like, but who knows mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to say yeah god but i wouldn't give her a time machine right oh dude oh, just
1: like so a just a viewing time machine yeah here, just to just let me go happening. see what happened yeah <laughs> i just want to see because like all of this could be made up this could be part of the simulation, mm-hmm. and I fully believe this happened because the books say they did.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the. I mean, that's all we have, right? right? Is what, I believe what people said happened. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: believe that. Yeah, you found things that have implied that this happened, and mm-hmm. you wrote it down. Mm-hmm. But what if those things were? You so know, what it's if all, it's all wrong? It's all lies. Lasting legacy. Okay, he ended the crisis of the third century mm-hmm. and formed mm-hmm. the next phase of the empire's history: the tetrarchy. Mm-hmm. He's also the first emperor to voluntarily resign. Yep. and i believe he's the only one i don't to voluntarily th- resign yeah i don't think there's another one um, his reforms restructured the empire into those smaller groups. The word diocese is still in our parlance to this day. Yep. Even though it's bad, he's known for the great persecution. Perse- Part of the legacy. My next line is, but- which is kind of funny, given yeah. Diocletian is known for the great persecution.
0: Yeah, so like,
1: it's still legacy. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then, that's the other thing. He's known for the great persecution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, <laughs> happened on his watch. Most people, like I said, accuse Nero of this, but it—that's noth- Like he did nothing yeah. compared to this. Yeah. So, it's not a good legacy, but it's a yeah, legacy. legacy nonetheless. <laughs> um, he also helped to solidify the precedent of split rule in the Empire, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is going to be real important because eventually the Empire permanently splits. Yes. Um, so, pretty significant. Mm-hmm. This man might yeah, be for hitting sure. top points.
0: I think so. He's going to be definitely one of the h- highest... That's a big legacy. The only the only thing is, he was boring when he died. Yeah, that's <laughs> no. really it. He he was like, I'm tired. I'm uh, just stop. I'm can, go I don't want to get
1: stabbed. I just just gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, I'm again thinking like between the eight and ten somewhere. He is, yeah, he's very well known. Yep. Yeah. Even if even if a lot like, of his things are lasting. I think there's only one emperor left that people have heard of, and that's Constantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think anyone's heard of the others if they're not a fan, but like the effects mm-hmm. of the effects are lasting. lasted for a long time.
0: It's really hard, but I nine? mean I'm between yeah, I'm between 9 and a 10. Yeah. But it's like what's what's the 10? We've given a 10 for Caesar, obviously. Obviously. Augustus. When- yeah did Nero get a ten let me let
1: me I didn't pull it up because let me he's pull like it angry because people know he's just a bad dude <laughs> right <laughs> like <laughs> like you're not good man um it looks like Augustus and Caesar got perfect
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh Caligula got an eighteen mm-hmm. Nero got an eleven oh, uh, okay
0: oh probably because like nothing he did lasted like implemented people just know he's a crazy guy
1: uh Hadrian got decent who's decent. this is that marcus aurelius yeah marcus mm-hmm. aurelius got 10 mm-hmm. i don't know man i think i think i think i'm comfortable giving with a, giving a 10 i think so yeah if if those if marcus aurelius got it i'll argue that diocletian did more
0: yeah there's a lot that stays a lot that was now started and established and good yeah and lasting 80 points ooh that's one of the highest. One Isn't, of, I yeah, think. I don't think it's the
1: highest, right? We had one No, in, I think he, I think Caesar's the highest still. Well, that was in the high eighties. Is eighty six our highest? Eighty well, yes, because you gave a point five. So yes, eighty-six is the highest oh. if we get rid of that. <laughs> is there an eighty six point five? Eighty-five point five. But okay, I'm like okay. you gave because you wouldn't give him a perfect score on mastery of military might. I one stand of the great generals of the world. It. I stand by it. So Augustus got eighty-two. And Caesar got 85.5, 86, mm-hmm. because they died better. <laughs> that was hey, really man. it. I told you that was going to be it. He was just boring when he died. Yeah, man. Oh, shit. Okay, so top three, man. Uh, you know, and honestly, that I, makes wonder, sense. I wonder how it would go now if we redid Caesar and Augustus, if we would rank them differently, now that we've done it for so long and have broader experience. Mm, that's, that's fair. We have, we have more to draw on now, reference-wise. Right. Okay. The great I think so. I think so too. Yeah, I don't know that you I don't know that you could argue against it. Um yeah. I get I get he did bad things. In terms
0: of being a human being, you yeah. know, but it's that's not really Yeah. You gotta what's, take what's historical so- context in the case and
1: but yeah, so I think he gets the great for sure. One of <laughs> finally mm-hmm. it's I think, been a while. Aside from Aurelian it was Marcus Aurelius.
0: I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense. It does. finally bring stability after so long.
1: For sure. Um, so then I have a few uh, epithets, but we can, we can discuss. I've got the pragmatist because he just, whenever it seemed like there was something new that he needed to do, he did it. That's true. To make yeah. it work. Yeah. Um, he, he could go with the persecutor, although I feel like that's a bit diminutive of everything else he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the cabbage farmer no i don't like that one yeah I don't either it's funny but yeah that's it's not whatever it's not relevant quote, enough which
0: is yeah that's all i got like i like i do like the pragmatist because yeah. it it is it is very accurate to his reign he didn't it didn't seem like he did reactionary um like drastic things or impulsive things it was like okay this is a situation this is gonna solve the problem we're doing the thing,
1: right? And it seems like he was a planner. Yeah, because the first time he talked to Maximian, I think it was 291, and they named their Caesars in 293. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine they talked about it and then planned. Yeah,
0: yeah. He had very he, he had goals. Yep. In, in place. He had the future in mind, which just makes what happened so much more tragic for him personally. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Yep. Do you think uh, the pra- pragmatist or or the pragmatic?
0: I, it, what's the difference uh, how the word is used I and mean, well being mean the pragmatic
1: is i am you know mm-hmm. i do the thing and being a pragmatist there it's the same thing just yeah how do you say it i don't know well, really, i, that I much, think the pragmatic the pragmatic. i think
0: makes more sense i think and how you yeah. use the word
1: well thank goodness we're done that would like it was, was a lengthy one i was very happy researching this one but i was like man there's so much this is the first script that i actually cut stuff out of Oh, yeah. Because I'm normally like, well, you know, it'd take us an hour and a half, two mm-hmm, hours, whatever. Mm-hmm. How far long are we? <clears throat> Three hours of recording time? Almost, 2.45, yeah, yeah, with like a short bathroom break. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I know it was a long one. Um, if they get long like that again, I might have to just snip them down. Yeah, but the next we'll one, I'll tell you, is Constantine. and <sighs> it, So we won't have to go through quite as much. BS. Oh,
0: that's true. It's kind of established. We already know he exists and where he came from. We can touch on it.
1: And, and there aren't a ton forward. of members before him. Yeah. That was the problem with yeah, this yeah, one yeah. is I spent an hour. But there was still a gap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they were so fun. I couldn't just be like, oh yeah, then this guy, and then this guy, and then this, mm-hmm. guy, and then this guy. It's like, you yeah, actually want to talk about him, especially... Dying by lightning, dying in a cart, getting (laughs) stabbed—like you guys had a rough go of it. Puddles (laughs) seeping, puddles getting
0: wet. Uh, I think that's—I think that's human juice. Anna,
1: (laughs) gross. All right. If we ever have merch, I want—I think that's human juice (laughs) on a shirt. That'd be funny. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. All right.
0: Welcome to the great podcast, the show where we take a look at the. I wanted to say great. No, important.
1: We get to the great at the end.
0: Yeah, well, you know, some of them are great, some of them aren't. <laughs> some of them, yes. Some of them are greatly terrible. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a good way of putting it.
1: They're great in their own way, everybody. Well, well
0: sure. It's all
1: subjective. It is. Yeah. To a degree, I suppose.